在每一天，我在流连，这心漂泊每朝每夜，多么想找到愿意相随同伴，使这心莫再漂泊。Beautiful people and a whole bunch of style, with a double of Jean Pierre Melville's *Le Samurai* and John Woo's *The Killer*, just two complete bangers of classics. If that sentence makes sense, it's going to be a lot of Ellen Delon and Chow Yun Fat. And here with me is a great action pal, especially of John Woo. I'm the host of the Real Early Podcast, and a man I don't think I've ever gotten his name right on the podcast. So let's see if I can do this. Larry Sternshine. Hey, how's it going? Hello. How's everybody doing? I am well. That is my name correctly, by the way. Yeah, third time's the charm, apparently. <laughs> um. Anyway, apart from that, how are you going? I am doing well. I'm doing great. Uh, it's December, uh, which means this past month I finished my action movie challenge that I do every year in cool. November, called Woovember. How did that go? It went well. I uh, watched a lot of movies. Uh, some I've seen before, a lot I haven't, and saw some movies that I didn't expect to be good. So that was fun. I always like discovering. Good. Um, any highlights, particularly from this month? Yes. Uh, so, a couple of things, just so people who aren't familiar with me knows. Uh, in November, I do this challenge that me and uh, my friend Ole created and we get people on letterbox to join us and we do movies based off of like categories. So like watch a John Woo movie. We do a lot of memorial for people who have passed, watch a movie of like Wolfgang Peterson movies, for example, because he mm-hmm. passed away. Uh, so we try to watch movies based off of these categories. And there are some movies that I watch because of these categories. Like for example, it's an anniversary of uh, the transporter with Jason Statham, and we had to watch a Jason Statham movie. Uh, so I watched this thing called Cellular. Have you ever heard of the movie Cellular with Chris Evans and Jason Statham? I have heard of this movie, but I have not had the pleasure of seeing it yet. Okay, this movie shocked me how much fun it was. It's Larry Cohen uh, was oh, the shit. guy who came up with the story for the movie. So mm. it's a lot of high concept stuff. Uh, essentially, Chris Evans uh, 
gets a random phone call from Kim Basinger, who has been kidnapped by Jason Statham and his crew of thugs trying to like get something her husband has. And she's like on the phone with Chris saying, Hey, you gotta get, you know, me the the police because I'm kidnapped and all these shenanigans happen where he goes to the police. He can't like, he goes up to the top cause that's where the homicide or kidnapping division is, but he's going to lose a signal. Cause you know, back in the early 2000s, cell phone signals were even worse than they are now. Oh yes. So he's like, okay, I can't go up to that. So he has to like leave the building and then all sorts of stuff he has to do in order to save her. But it's so well-made and I think it helps by Chris Evans now knowing him being Captain America and stuff, it kind of works a little bit better because it sort of feels like a Chris Evans origin story in a way. So- I do, yeah, I do love watching an early performance of Chris Evans because he hasn't quite not gone into his groove, but he's still, you, yeah, you're right, he hasn't become Captain America yet, so he's, he's fascinating to watch. Um, does is this a part of uh Jason Statham's American phase when he was trying to do an American accent like he wasn't the one? I, I think he doesn't really do the accent i think he just happens to be a cop that has a british accent you don't i don't think he's attempting to be i think because he's the villain they probably didn't really care uh, as we, much yeah we prefer you to have a british accent if you're the villain jason <laughs> no i love yeah, his, and he, yeah. sorry and it's go. fun to watch him in it too because it's one of his earlier movies too mm. so i think it's pre-transporter i'm assuming mm. it, it may be after i'm not even not familiar but basically it's weird because like he's such a, like he's generally generally plays a good guy or a super badass dude, but he has to get like beat up by like Kim Basinger sometimes and things. But it's really fun to kind of see it. So I, I highly recommend that one. I think that one's a lot of fun. Watch it with people if you can. Like you got some friends over, part of a double bill or something. Throw that on, you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, especially if Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen was involved. He was such a great screenwriter. And um, even when he's just coming up with the concept, you know his movies are always going to be um, really, really um, insane. So, no, I, that's been on my watch list for a while. Um, I didn't realize Statham was in that one, actually. Yeah, yeah. And so is um, oh, William H. Macy. Mm. He plays, like, the good guy cop that kind of – stumbles into what's going on and it almost feels like a like a role reversal he's more he's kind of like the marge Syndergaard character from fargo oh, in this one yeah so it's a weird cool? like yeah it's kind of interesting in that way and he does okay so he does a couple of cool jawu type action moments mm-hmm. and i was like i tweeted out them like I want William H. Macy to be in a John Woo movie because he, he was so cool with this mustache, like jumping while shooting a gun. I was like, this is amazing. See? Yeah. You... If you don't want to see this movie now, I don't know what to tell you. No, I, I don't either. Cause that, I did not realize that uh, William H. Macy was pulling out the moves. Um, Usually he's not doing that. Unless, um, I know you... it's totally rad. Yeah. You don't see, he doesn't usually move that quick. Um, No, that's so cool. Anything else that you saw this, uh, last month that you want to um, uh, say that you loved? Yeah, I'll just highlight a couple of quick ones. Uh, one, I saw Dangerously Close, which is an early movie directed by Albert Pion, who unfortunately passed. And it was a really good movie that is actually ahead of its time because it actually deals with like toxic masculinity and stuff like that. Things that we talk about a lot more now than we did back in the 80s. And that was a cool thing about Albert, too. Like He always 
was ahead of the game. He was probably a little too ahead of the game for his own good, it feels like. But that was a good movie to check out, Dangerously Close. Yes, I uh, yeah, I ended up watching Swords and Sorcerer again um, after his passing. That's just because I had the DVD sitting right there. Um, but yeah, that that was a pune thing. He was always way ahead of his time um, to a fault, almost unfortunately. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> he was yeah. He's he was uh, like well, we'll talk about John Woo later. Oh, um, speaking of which, his yeah. movie Nemesis and Hong Kong '97 are clearly mm-hmm. movies that was him and his love letter to movies like uh the killer and and other hong kong movies and you know especially in 1992 with nemesis and stuff like again he was doing hong kong action before most people were so in america so that's Mm. cool about him uh yeah anything else yes and i finally saw rrr (laughs) what did you think (laughs) i i loved it it was so much fun I could totally tell why this one took off more than some of the other ones, just because of how over the top it is. And it feels like the perfect introduction to Indian films for people who may not be familiar with it. Cause you kind of get a lot of the vibes there, but also a lot of Western stuff. Cause you have some Western actors in there and a lot of themes that you might recognize from like Hawkeye movies and whatnot. So it was pretty awesome. Yes. I couldn't help thinking of uh, 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 when I was watching say the killer, uh, just because this is about the greatest friendship of all time. Um, the best of friends. Uh, no, I, I ended up watching it this year. Cause my partner, I was go- about to go to bed, which was ne- never the best time to watch to start watching a three hour movie. But my partner yelled up, I'm going to start watching ah, ah, ah. Now, my partner is not the biggest fan of foreign language movies. He doesn't like reading um, the TV. Like, that's just a thing that he has. Um, So sometimes it can be difficult to try and get him, and he hates dubbing, so it's very difficult to get him to watch something that's um, a foreign language movie. And I went, oh, Dan's, what, what, Dan, you've never seen a um tell a mini movie from India before. What's going on? But he saw the trailer, and he saw one of them fight a tiger. So he was all about that. Um, and he actually, for, for him, he did actually watch it for an hour once he realized, oh, people are also singing in this. I went, babe, this is a movie from India. This has all the genres in it. This is not a movie that's just going to be one thing. It's going to have 16 things in it. Um, but he did pretty well. And then I finished it over the next couple of days. I think I watched it in piecemeal. But that movie is insane. And you're right. I can see why this one kind of introduced, took this. I can see why that movie kind of kicked off and introduced a lot of people into the movies of uh, Tamil and Bollywood and all that kind of thing, giving them the feel and that some, again, because they had things they could recognize. And yeah, so hopefully um, more Indian movies do just as well in the future. Yeah, that's the only thing I think about. Because like, I know when, like I was getting into like Hong Kong movies, somebody might see like Hard Boiled and be like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. But then they wouldn't give other movies a shot. Um, But there's still plenty of fans of it stuff. So even if, like some person that doesn't go back to it. There's still plenty that was like, Oh, I got to watch more. And they're just like injecting this stuff into their veins. And especially too, cause like a lot of areas, like my AMC local of a couple that show movies from there all the time. And uh, there's a couple here this weekend I wanted to go see and it hasn't quite worked out, but I'm going to try to go. Cause it's like, I watch these trailers. I'm just like, they're not making action movies in America like these. 
these days. And I'm like, I gotta check them out. So I really gotta make an effort to like go to the few around here that show the these films because like it it scratches an itch that I don't get to scratch as much anymore. Oh, uh, exactly the same. I know a theater in the city that will play a lot of um, movies from India, Tamil, Bollywood, and also a lot of movies from Hong Kong um, uh, and Japan. No, it's more, more, but it's more, that's more the anime, but they will play a lot of international films like that. And well, I work in the city, so I have really no excuse, but yeah, I've just got to make the time just to go and see some of these movies. The fact that I can see them on the, on the big screen. Um, but yeah, no, I get that also the criticism with the nationalism and the, the handful of movies I've seen. I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that. But what movie doesn't have those elements in it? So yeah, we do it. China oh. does it. I mean, China does it. Um, even South Korea does it. Um, yeah, yeah. we do it. <laughs> um, so it's... yeah, it, it's, it's just part of that. But I just, it, it surprised me that that was the movie that got all the kind of the thing at it. I'm like going, but a lot of movies do that. Have you not seen Michael Bay? <laughs> yeah. The, the maximalist, maximalist thing is fun. It's mm. a fun thing that you probably don't want them in every movie, but sometimes you got to have cake. You do. You do exactly. Um, and speaking of cake, this du- this double is a having yourself a big cake <laughs> kind of double. When you suggested it, um, actually, I didn't realize how much uh, the settler samurai had influenced uh, uh, John Woo. So this was an absolute treat um, to sort of um, watch the stages of action through the last 50, 60 years. Um, so uh, this is a, an amazing double. Thank you for bringing it. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's funny too because what's I think interesting about this first show we're gonna record is I've never seen Le Samurai until this week, and I don't think you've seen The Killer until about this week, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, this was the first time watch. I'd seen a bit of for both. I'd seen a few Melville, so I kind of knew what I was getting into, and obviously I've seen some John Woo. Uh, I've seen now his main four Hong Kong movies, so I'm very proud of myself. Nice. Um, it took me well just to find them <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah but this was the first time to watch the uh, the killer and it, holy hell i was sort of watching it kind of, <laughs> yeah you're not gonna beat hard-boiled are you oh you might be beating hard-boiled shit <laughs> yeah that's i so that thought that was fun like we hmm. we you have something that you haven't seen there's something i haven't seen and it's all pretty fresh in our minds so exactly I that was pretty cool so we might as well get into it Actually, you tend to choose doubles that would be amazing to watch in an actual cinema. To watch both of these, I think, would be an absolute treat. So as I like, um, as the curtains are opening, I like to imagine Esborough's Theatre and the curtains are opening. And uh, Larry, what is going to be your first trailer for Le Samurai? My first trailer for Le Samurai, I think I'm going to go with Drive. Shut your mouth. I'll kick your teeth down your throat and I'll shut it for you. You put this kid behind the wheel, there's nothing he can't do. Look like a zombie, kid. Getting any sleep? You give me a time and place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. What do you do? I drive for movies. Action! It's not dangerous. Perfect. It's only part time. Uh, you two know each other. Don't. We're neighbors. He's a good guy. My husband is coming home. 
He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. Nice. The Nicholas uh, Riffin? Yes, yes. Yeah. Not not the other drive. The the drive that's very much uh, an homage to and what it feels like after watching The Samurai, an homage to the French New Wave films like oh, yeah. this one. Mm. So I was like, and besides, you know, it's a pretty good trailer too. So I was like, this is perfect. This will get people in that sort of mood to to for these double features. So that was my first one is Drive. That is actually a perfect trailer. I'm a little upset I didn't think of it because you're right. Um, it is an homage to a lot of the New Wave films and especially this movie. The whole silent killer thing um, might not have started exactly with this movie. I'm probably missing a few, but God damn it if this movie didn't make it look good. Um, yeah, I... Um, I'm becoming a bigger fan of Nicholas, uh, Brendan Riffin. Um, just, it took me a while. Um, but just something about his kind of dead eyed lights. I, 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 I kind of love. I think I've never seen anything other than drive of his, to be honest. I just haven't gotten around to the other ones, but I heard they're, they're unique. Like, yes. Just cause they're, this one is a very very minimalistic one and it kind of meanders a little bit and not in a bad way it's just sort of you kind of see his life and whatnot it's the tone of the movie Mm. yeah which is like if you took like um some other director and said okay you're gonna make drive it probably would have had more car chases it would have been a little bit more mainstream but I, i what i like about this one is that it's a little bit off the beaten path in how it's filmed. So that was that's why I think I should probably just check out his other movies just so I can get that vibes. I like those vibes. Yes, you know? it definitely has those vibes, but I always like to compare Drive to this is back if you were much older and you bought singles from the from your CD store as a teenager. This is aging myself. Um, but you bought a single, you really loved it. Kind of weird, but still accessible. And so then you buy the whole album and then you realize how deeply weird this musician is and it's and the single was nothing like the rest of the album <laughs> it's like they always made one album that song that was kind of accessible to get the kids in that's kind of how i feel about um only god forgives and neon demon they are deeply way dark deeply sinister kind of um nothing all light in the eyes but nothing kind of happening behind them but very very interesting um, they are much more um, nihilistic movies than even drivers, uh, but they, I think they're worth watching um, though. I did show a friend on demon and she came, she, I saw that she goes, why would you make me watch that movie? And I'm like, Oh shit. Too far. Too far. <laughs> yeah. Pull it back a little bit. Pull back a little bit. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I will not show you uh... on demon again. <laughs> she kind of left. She kind of looked at me different. I was like, what is wrong with you? It's like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think if I would have saw like one of those movies before Drive, I would have been like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I way overthought my trailers, so we're gonna see how this goes. I okay, you know what? I'm gonna go for a Vim Vendors uh, movie first, but I'm gonna go for the American Friend, 1977. We know that you are not going to live very much longer. you like to leave them some money when you'll die? Mm-hmm. 
make it professional. I trust him. And that river flows. It flows to the sea. This is a movie that has uh, Dennis Hopper and I didn't write the other guy's name, but he would play, um, go on to play Hitler in that Bunker movie. But essentially it is a adaption of a Ripley novel, Ripley's Game. And Dennis Hopper is playing a cowboy version of Ripley. It's really cool. You've got this poor guy who's kind of found out that he's dying and now he gets recruited to assassinate people. And it is just, it's got an amazing train sequence, actually. It goes into more action than you think of Vendor's movies going to, but it is just a, a really cool, calm movie about this kind of very bizarre friendship between these two men, especially when um, Ripley is meant to be a sociopath and not really able to connect. He's starting to connect with this man who is dying, and it's definitely worth a watch. So, yeah, that is going to be my first trailer. One of the things I love going on your show and listening to your show is there's always a movie I've never heard of. <laughs> and this is one I've never heard of before. And I'm looking at the letterbox real quick. Cause I'm like, okay, I gotta see what the deal is. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to see this movie now. It like looks really interesting. And when vendors is somebody that I don't really have any familiarity with either. Cause I mean, like when it comes to like older 70s and art house type people like i i'm just the the blindest of blind spots so this could sounds like a good one for me to kind of dip my toe into that that pool a little bit from what i could tell uh, yeah this is actually a good place to start with Vin vendors i think it's as like drive is most accessible movie and yeah and the movie and the actor i was thinking was bruno gans uh again rp passed away a couple of years ago but it's, yeah it's a really yeah. um it's German and English because of Dennis Hopper because he does not speak German in this movie, and it sort of brings this international feel. It's yeah, it's it's a really good place to start with um with him, and it's just yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah, plus it's um an adaptation of yeah Ripley's Game, so it's kind of got that thriller element to it anyway. And yeah, kind of a good place to start for the German new wave. <laughs> um, yeah, it yeah. looks pretty pretty rad, and it's uh made in the year I was born, so. Oh, I, just, I need to do that stuff more. You know, every time I see someone go, hey, what are your top 10 movies the year you were born? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's 77. I don't know any movies that came out other than Star Wars. So <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that is a movie that eclipsed um, eclipsed everything that yeah, it's kind of I, I should go back. I should go find out the best crime movies of 77 and watch those. Yeah, there's some actually really good movies that came out in 77. But what happened is um, a certain movie came out at the end of the year and everyone just went, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of took this, the wind out of a lot of sails, I guess. <laughs> Especially on William Friedkin. I'm sure he holds a special uh, murderous grudge against that movie. Um, he brought out Sorcerer, like, a movie two weeks beforehand that he thought was the greatest thing ever. And then oh. Star Wars came out. So. I've never seen Sorcerer either, and that was 77. See, 77 sounds like a pretty cool year. It's a pretty cool year. Go back. Yeah, it's a pretty cool year. It's a pretty good year to look at, but I can understand why people just kind of look at that year and go, Star Wars, because it's hard to ignore. <laughs> I can see why people get, some people in the industry probably are like, oh, Spielberg, oh, Lucas, because like that reminded me of like when Carpenter's The Thing came out, 
right around ET, he's probably like, oh, well, this is not fair. Oh, you know? yeah. People were not ready for a evil alien. They wanted an alien who would eat just, you could love and eat Reese's pieces. Um, it's I, space, man. The space yeah. always trumps everything, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, with that, what is going to be your second trailer? Uh, my second trailer is going to be Heat. In the city of Los Angeles. Recognize the MO? MO? is that they're good. If you think these guys are scoring more than passing through, I doubt it. A relentless police detective is on the trail. What do we got? Of a master thief. You're fugitive number one with a bullet. It's double the risk here. You're wrong. It's four times the risk, and I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. Clear! And his reckless partner. The bank is worth the risk. We should take it down. I want full surveillance, 24 hours, round the clock. We never close open seven days a week. Assume they got our phones. Assume they got our houses. Assume they got us. Bam, bye-bye. They get more daring with every score. What's the estimate? 12.2 million. You're up. Which is so obvious of a choice nice. just yes. because of the whole... Like both of these movies, The Samurai and The Killer, have that cop versus robbers thing going mm, on where yeah. like they're obsessed in some particular way of like getting the other one. The other one's trying to get away, uh, even though The Killer ends completely different from the other ones. But, you know, but that he also kind of has that vibe. Uh, I, another movie where you could just link the family tree f- from The Samurai. You, you can. And plus, it's, it's, plus it's just a. Anyway, uh, Heat has been getting a lot of negative feedback, it feels like, lately. Like like a weird backlash. But I think it's a solid movie. You know, I it's probably too long, and Al Pacino's character is kind of a piece of crap. But that robbery scene in the middle of the movie is still one of the greatest scenes, action scenes, I've ever seen in a, in a film. And I feel like we kind of forget that seen a lot for some reason Mm -hmm. but like you know that that thing was i still think about that that sequence whenever i see a a gunfight in a movie that that fight in the middle of la um gunfight is yeah one of the greatest action sequences ever filmed the guns are so loud it is absolute precision no yeah that i mean he's not my favorite man but i've got a weird relationship with with him i think i'm in a pocket for man, when you sort of start with the insider and the end with Miami Vice, everything in that kind of uh, seven year period, I'm like all oh, man, and everything else, I'm like, yeah, I like, I like, but no, you can't. Even though, yeah, I can kind of get in with some of the criticisms of hate, like some of the female characters are underwritten, but that is a man thing, yeah. all this kind of thing. But at the same time, when you see that, that but when you see the, how the whole thing's put together, because man is a craftsman, but I think there's a weird little pushback happening with man at the moment because there always is when you get something overtly of love and then this other side's got to come in and go well actually and it's like you don't need to out well actually that um even if you don't love man but i think what you can't deny about man is he is an absolute craftsman that's what he is he knows how to direct a movie he is constantly experimenting he's constantly pushing forward he wants to see how well he can do certain things much like his character and thief. That's or how I always think of man. I think of him as James Khan trying yeah, to break into a, a that's vault. That's a great call. Yeah, um, that's how he makes his movies, and it's about the attention to detail, and it is about 
men doing their jobs well uh which is kind of why i like the insider because uh russell crowe's uh character is not good at his job except at being a science teacher but everything else he kind of sucks at uh, which is very rare in a man movie and you're very dubious of him from the beginning for that specific reason uh a man will never trust a man who's who's been fired but um heat is about the all these guys yes al pacino is going you know great ass it's it's all going large but it's a nice, it's a really nice contract to the steeliness of uh, De Niro's character, who is all business, who will leave a person who he loves behind because that is the job. That is the life he has chosen and that is what he's going to do. So, no, uh, yeah, when you said heat, I'm like, oh, my God, man's completely influenced by a samurai. I'm seeing all the threads uh, yeah. now. Yeah, it, you know, especially because, like, in the 80s, his use of, like, neon and stuff that feels very... To me, a neon feels very French in some ways. I very feel like, French, yeah, in a weird way, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah but Michael Mann is uh, he's another crime director that, you know, has a very specific feel to it, and it doesn't always work for me. Like, I know a ton of people that love Miami, Miami Vice, but, like, I've watched it numerous times. I can't get into it. I, I, I just can't do it. Um, there's oh, some I- really great stuff in it, hmm. but... It's got a, like the ending drives me nuts because you're not getting a sequel. And it just doesn't, I love the original TV show, mm. quite frankly. And I think the TV show is better than the movie. Um, but again, that's also a TV show versus a movie. They're kind of hard to compare, but I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. And plus the the plot doesn't make any sense. And I've tried to pay attention to the plot and it's just, I don't know. But that's okay though, because the great thing about movies is if I don't like something and you like something, I think that's awesome because who wants somebody not to like a movie? Exactly. Um, I watch uh, my, cause the, the first time I watched my band, my Miami vice, I was confused, but now I watch Miami vice. Like I watch a movie from Italy from the seventies. Um, the plot is not going to matter. It's all about the style. Uh, Colin Farrell is a, is, a, is he a monster for mojitos or am I giving that line wrong? I don't remember. Yeah, he's a something for mojitos, and he because he, he's he loves it. He's got the mustache. I don't know the the movie was chaotic to say the least. I think man wanted it a bit too realistic, <laughs> so, so he kept putting his actors in harm's way of being shot. And uh, um, Colin Farrell does not remember making it. Um, but it, there is, yeah, I watch it. It I just watch it for the style. I think that movie is ninety percent style, but I don't mind that. I like watching a director just doing something so um weird with such a solid uh with such a solid kind of base like Miami Vice um and yeah. the opening to the friggin um theatrical well you just in the club and you've just got that song playing it's like yes <laughs> I'm glad the movie exists though oh, just yeah. because I don't want a movie not to exist you know what I mean like mm. I can't think of very many movies that's like I wish they never made that one just because there's a lot to like in the movie. It's just doesn't fully work, but that's the thing about Michael Mann. Uh, Other directors that have a very signature style is like, you can't help but admire it. Even if you don't appreciate it always. Exactly. I mean, I feel the same way about heat. It doesn't always work for me as a whole, but I know there are moments when you are just watching it going, holy shit. So, but, yeah. but it is an awesome trailer, though. So, it is an amazing part, trailer. Part of the reason why I choose some trailers, I'm just like, you know what? I want people to like be all like pumped up for stuff, you know, like 
it's, some trailers just like do that well and it's like sometimes just watch the trailer don't even watch the movie exactly sometimes the trailer is better than the movie <laughs> Actually, yeah, actually, I kind of like the trailer for this uh, one. I'm going back to the 70s as well because Alan Delon is playing a man out of time. So I'm choosing another movie about a man out of time as well as doing a neon noir. But I'm going to go for Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye, 1973. Hey! Hey, Mrs. Wade! There's a long goodbye. No, my name is Sidney uh, Jenkins. Come on, let's go inside, Marlo. We want to talk to you. Oh, is this where I'm supposed to say, what is all this about? And he says, uh, shut up, I asked the question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it happens every day. Right profile. Sit down. What the hell are you doing? Yes, right. I'm getting ready to sing Swan. When some passerby invites your eye to come her way. Elliot Gould at his peak of being Elliot Gould. Uh, this is yet another adaption, book adaption actually, um, a Chandler. And it is literally um, a, a pri private eye trying to find something out and it gets confusing. It's got him trying to, but it's got Elliot Gould trying to choose cat food at a supermarket. He is a rumpled, smoking, hard drinking in a very alternative culture, LA, where everyone is vegan and doing yoga. Um, so not much has changed, but it is my favorite Altman. It, again, his most accessible movie, I think. Um, yeah, I'm going for that one. Yeah, great choice, even though I've never seen it. It's one of those movies where like everyone I know is like, dude, why haven't you watched this thing yet? It's kind of embarrassing, but it's another 70s. Like 70s is like this ridiculous blind spot for me because I have it in my head that the 70s is like considered often like the greatest decade for movies. Mm. And I just push back on that in my head for some dumb reason. Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> You're telling me it's that good, but it's not. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> but uh, I know people, I know podcasts have done this show. I, I love that sort of detective movie that's not necessarily all about the detective stuff. It's more about like just the characters and the stuff that he, they kind of go through. You know, that noir yes. thing that I really enjoy. Because I love a lot of later early noir but like the new noir stuff is i need to give those a go because i think i like them too uh, yeah i mean the 70s which is probably going to fit into the whole round discussion i think is not exactly the greatest decade for movies though and a lot of people love it i think it was the best dec decade for the auteur which directly ties into the new wave which I keep saying new wave when we're talking about Marvel. I know he's technically not new wave, but he kind of was around. <laughs> he's kind of just adjacent to that. So I, I tend to lump him into that. But he, but the 70s was kind of the death of, the signaling death of the studios, which we are back in the studio system definitely now because they're starting to own theaters. And we are back in where the director had more say over what they could do um, and how they wanted to make their movie. And 
it did actually make a lot of money. Um, and I'm actually not entirely sure how much money this did, but Robert Altman is the perfect example of that. I remember when he made Gosford, Gosford Park came out in the nineties and everyone was like, Oh shit, Altman's back. And Robert Altman went, I never went anywhere. I've been making movies. I haven't stopped making movies. You guys just weren't in the room when I was doing it. Now you happen to be in the room. I've just been on the straight line, making the movies, how I want to make them. And you just guys have just shown up for this movie. So but it is just a really fun movie. It actually has a um, early uh, role for Arnold Schwarzenegger, who pops. Yeah, up. I saw him in the credits, and I was like, "Man, I, the credit for this movie is actually odd because the Schwarzenegger, like Tommy Shaw from yeah. Sticks, is in it." Yep. I'm like, "What is happening here?" Oh, the thing with uh, Robert Altman movie, there's like about 600 actors in them, <laughs> and they just kind of weave in and out of the movie. This is definitely that. Um, but yeah, he doesn't speak in it, but he's there and you see him and you're like, holy shit, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Do you want to hear another theme of <laughs> this early part of the podcast? Is yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've, other than Popeye, I don't think I've seen a Robert Altman movie. Oh, I haven't seen Popeye since I was a kid. Um, Robert Altman is in a quiet taste, I will say that, because... Uh, he was the kind of guy that would want his actors to sort of improvise and he'd have three things going on and seven cameras. So he, you never knew exactly where he was going to film. So you just had to act. So his movies can be very meandering. They can be very, you don't quite know even what the story you're meant to be following is that kind of thing. This is a little bit different because it's such a, a neon noir and you're literally following Elliot Gould, but yeah, it's probably the best place to start before you go into Nashville or um, shortcuts or that kind of thing. But yeah, it's just a really, it's a really watchable movie. And then you'll realize how much The Big Lebowski took from this movie. <laughs> oh, The Big Lebowski took from it, I'm sure. Cause oh, yeah. Especially that the... whole movie is basically a noir. Yeah. Oh, this is the this is the noir they had in mind when they were doing this. Um, but yeah, no, that sounds like you should do an episode of The Big Lebowski and The Long Goodbye or something. Oh, so, yeah, I don't know if I could ever do Big Lebowski. It would just be me quoting it the whole entire time. <laughs> we're nihilists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know what you should do? You should do a special episode of Schlock and All where you guys just do the script. Yes. Just get a bunch of people on and then it could be like, this is your, it'll be like, okay, listen, I don't want to get off tangent over here, but you should do an episode, right? Mm. And then like even the trailers, you guys just recreate, like the people on to recreate the trailers. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, like this will be the, the highest rated podcast of all time. It might be. Um, Just throwing it out there. Yeah, that could actually work because um, I did an episode with Matt Bledsoe on The Nice Guys. It was just us quoting it. And I know the uh, – <laughs> we just yeah, because you'd have to do that to The Big Lebowski because The Big Lebowski is one of the quotable, most quotable movies of, of, of the um, ever made. <laughs> yeah, and with that, we're going to get into a movie that has actually not that much dialogue. It is – well, maybe toward the end. The police talk a lot in this movie, but we're going to be getting yeah, in, as usual. As usual, they don't shut up. They won't leave a man in peace uh, to, to to go around and uh, completing uh, hit jobs. But we are talking about Jean Pierre Melville's *Le Samurai*. Costello, Jeff, 30 ans, sans condamnation, inconnu au sommier, correspondrait au signalement donné. On ne portait aucune arme sur lui. L'homme portait un chapeau. Mettez votre chapeau. Il avait une moustache, je crois. 
Pourquoi vous êtes-vous rasé la moustache, Castello Je n'ai jamais porté de moustache de ma vie. Quel est le nom de l'homme de 30 ans Je suis obligé. Ah, ça oui. Chef Costello. Yes, as you had mentioned before, this is a first-time watch for you. Um, you'd only watched it a few days ago, but I know that you went, holy shit, this is good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I gave uh, a high score on Letterboxd. Mm. Uh, I was mesmerized by the whole thing. Uh, There's a lot of, like, wheel spinning in my head. Um, I was thinking how I'm glad I watched it now because I think I appreciate the movie more now than if I would have watched it when I was a lot younger. Mm. Um, and it was just, I'm like, this is amazing. I, I kind of liked the, I, every time I watch a French movie from any decade, I'm always kind of amazed by how much I like it more than I think I would going into it. Me too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was my first Melville movie as well. So that was cool. I felt, I don't know. I felt like I was crossed off a blind spot in my head um but it was like it was great too because it was like a quick watch it didn't feel long because i think in my head i think of french movies being like uh, art house and art house movies are just drag and take forever i don't even know why i even think that since mm. i don't watch a whole lot of art house movies it's just i don't know but this movie is awesome so i'm glad i watched it though man because you know i've always heard about elaine Dillon as somebody that Jabu admired and Chayam Fat clearly being kind of modeled on him a little bit. Oh yeah. And and I was like, man, this guy really is like super cool. I was like I, I I love actors that are super cool. And I feel like we don't have as many as we used to, but maybe we do. I don't know. <laughs> well no, I think the yeah, because I still still we're back in the studio system where it's not necessarily about the personalities. It's about who they're playing. And I think because Robert Downey Jr. is a cool movie star, but we know him as Iron Man more than anything else now. And even though he had like decades of work previous, um, it is, yeah, I think it's sort of more about who they are playing, not necessarily um, uh, what I mean, though, I guess the kids love Timothy Shamalai, which I'm butchering his name because I got corrected and I cannot remember um, Sh- Shalei or Shamalai. Yeah. Yeah, Shamalot. Shamalot. I don't know. Um, he's kind of <laughs> turning into that for the children, um, and I did get corrected on his name by a very angry nineteen-year-old. Um, <laughs> sure, no, Is he wasn't... really like that big for uh, young people? Oh are they my really god! Into him? Yes, they they are going to go. They are going to see Bones and All, which is a movie that is got images in it that made me squirm. Um, Oh, so you've seen that? I have to still have to check that out. Oh, it's it's amazing. Like it's it's great. Like I was sort of watching it, like a lot of this. Uh, Luca Guadamari. Uh, sorry, I butchered his name. The guy who directed uh, Suspiria and um, Call Me by Your Name. I usually I, I leave his movies confused because I'm like, what did I just watch? Do I did I even like that? And then about two weeks later, I'm like, oh, it's the greatest movie ever, and that's now Bones and All. Um, wow, yeah, that's it, high praise. Holy yeah, cow! Yeah, it is a hard. The, the pun intended it's a hard movie to digest because that movie is about cannibals um and it is definitely got some grindhouse violence in it and 
all the kids want to see the Tim and New Timothy movie. And I'm just like going, yeah, you go see that movie about Canada. <laughs> We're just chowing down on bodies. Just like, yeah, it's um, it's it's a sight, especially Mark Rylance in his tidy whities But it is. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think he's kind of, but I think he's like, every generation has that James Dean kind of character. And I think that's Timothy for, for the, for the children. I keep calling them children, but they're in their twenties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I, I feel, I feel like people give young people a lot, of, a lot of crap, but you know what though? When I was growing up, they gave my generation a lot of crap. Yeah, exactly. You know, with our so like they, and our Christians. <laughs> they like Timothy Chalamet and that gets, Yeah. They get people into movies. Who cares? Exactly. I mean, we. I mean, we kind of uh, worship our kind of figures from back in the day. I mean, River Phoenix, R.I.P. Will never grow old. Keanu Reeves is one of the most beloved figures of all time. Christian Slater. We had a lot of those, and uh, when I'm a writer, um, and everyone has their generation, and that is just kind of how you get introduced into into movies. Um, and Alan Delon was absolutely that for the 50s and 60s. He was that. I mean, he was unbelievably beautiful. Like, I was trying to watch the Samurai going, is he meant to be an everyman? Because it's fucking Alan Delon. This is not an everyman. This is the most beautiful man to exist in France. Um, he had a really long career. I think yeah, he's occasionally. very handsome. Yeah, very, very handsome. Um, and he's kind of, I mean, this movie was written specifically for him. Melville made this movie to have him in it and because he and so i think if you're going to make a movie for alan delon have him as the most beautiful alien creature on the planet who's just staring at everyone and it works yeah that makes a lot of sense that he did it for him just mm. like john will wrote the killer for Charlie and fat so mm. like there's something about I love directors that write movies for actors and they know exactly what's going to work for them. And I think that's what makes certain movies special. Yeah. It's exactly like um, Quentin Tarantino writing for Samuel L. Jackson. Like he always has an actor in mind, I think, but there's a specific way he writes for Samuel L. Jackson where the cadence is absolutely perfect. I don't know. Um, He just knows how to write for him. So every single time Samuel L. Jackson's in a Quentin Tarantino movie, you're just like, Oh, this is how it's meant to be. Um, but yeah, this is exactly like this. I mean, La Samurai is a very simple movie. Um, it is a hitman who goes on a job to kill a nightclub owner. He is spotted by um, a, I think she's, oh, she's the pianist, uh, played by Kathy uh, Rosier. And it is about the cops trying to um, nail this guy. They know it's him. They just can't prove it. All the eyewitnesses say something different. Kathy is, who is a very beautiful woman herself, uh, can't stop staring at him and just will not say, give him, will not give him up. And it's really just about the cops following him around Paris. It is, but it's, a, even though that's essentially the movie, it is still an incredibly captivating movie. And I can see why people who saw this in their twenties suddenly just went, oh my God, what is this? This is amazing. How can I remake this over and over again? Yeah. Um, I'm just got a curiosity, uh, Kathy Rosier. Oh, Rosier, sorry, yes. What what is what this is, is going to her... happen a lot this this episode oh, with, the, with the foreign names? What what is her deal? Uh, was she like a famous person in in France at the time? Because she doesn't have a lot of movies, but she had a she had an awesome look. 
Yeah. Like I was like, I was like, like, who is this person? And she, she was a model who did and who acted, but I can't, yeah, she didn't have as, I thought she would have had a much larger career because she's amazing in this. Yeah. I, I totally can see that. Like, like she saw him and she was like, holy crap. Like, I don't even care that he killed somebody, you know? Selling to love, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, but she's also like really pretty too. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, I totally like bought that whole particular bit of business in the movie, but I was just like, man, who, who is this person? So, you know, that's the other cool thing about that movie was just some of the actors and stuff. And I was like, everyone was just cast really well. So yes, that's the other thing I noticed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've also got, uh, Nathalie, uh, Delon, who was married to Elon, Ellen at the time. Um, and she was considered the most beautiful woman in, in Paris and, and sorry, in France at the time. So, you know, yeah, those two together, which just, <laughs> she is stunning. Um, but there's this definite kind of thing of where all the, the police officers are grizzled. They're older. They've got those amazing old French faces and all the criminals are just the most beautiful people, including uh, Rosier, uh, who's not really a criminal, but she is absolutely stunning with these massive eyes and this pixie haircut. Um it, they are kind of all the most beautiful people you've ever seen on film. It's this really nice distinction <laughs> of, oh no, you're going to like the beautiful people. You want them to do well. And the cops, you can just leave them alone because you're definitely not as pretty. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I liked about the movie too was it, it felt, it felt very modern in many ways as well. Cause yeah. like the, the cops doing everything they could to kind of get him mm. even like bugging the houses and like you know they were like this close to just like doing some sort of like bad cop stuff to him and things like that in order to get him like it was it was really interesting just to kind of see what they would do in order to catch him and the stuff that he was able to avoid you know up until the very end and like that whole relationship i thought was really uh it was really cool because I feel like I see that in a lot of movies now that I didn't really see so much before. So yeah, you kind of realize how groundbreaking this movie is in a lot of way. It feels like I think I read in my notes. It feels like proto action. I mean, it's not an action movie per se. It is much more of a neon noir. Um, Alan Delon is pretty much playing a Humphrey Bogart character. He's not. He doesn't belong in the time that he is. I mean, even his apartment is in black and almost black and white, which I still stylish as hell but i was like oh shit he's like spider-man noir he's like the wind smells like rain kind of um character and then you have this sort of very sort of modern kind of paris around him that looks completely chic and completely deserted which i kind of love this media paris that he's that he's made um but yeah you really get sort of the sense of this very modern police force that is after this almost ghost and then you're watching it and you're like oh this is where this came from i mean yeah it comes from noir because that's the characters that humphrey bogart used to play i'm thinking that's the only name that's coming to mind at the moment but that very solitary man alone um doesn't want any attachment and that's kind of we've carried that figure throughout film and ellen delon's samurai is kind of that character personified and then you just get every other filmmaker kind of recreating that character i mean it is going back to hate it is the denaro character absolutely i mean this is a man who's alone he's on the job 
he knows what he's got to do and he knows not to have any attachments um because as soon as he does it will get him killed like it gets um uh jeff both yeah both of these characters both uh both chow yun fat and um uh ellen delan are called jeff which i find very funny because it's the least assassin like name you should have yeah true <laughs> but yeah that is the kind of thing it is this archetype of the hard man alone and it's kind of incredible how much that archetype has just kept getting used and used and used the other interesting thing when i was watching the movie because you mentioned proto action and there's not necessarily action sequences in this movie, but in my head, I invented numerous action sequences. Like if they were to remake this now, there there would have been at least three different action sequences, uh, probably four in my head that would have been pretty pretty sweet. <laughs> like um, like for example, when he goes to meet the guy to give him his get his money from mm. the thing, and then he's gonna actually try to kill him instead like i totally picture that having like them pointing guns at each other then maybe there's some other people trying to kill him and there's a cool gunfight there and obviously the end when he goes to find the person who framed him and stuff there'd be a cool action sequence there yeah there'd be there's a cool like the chase thing where him trying he's going on the bus and the train and getting off the train doing mm-hmm. stuff i mean i love that that was a great action sequence actually that is it's trace. A- i love traces like that but you know I feel like actually that was probably a proto for a lot of chain scenes you see later on too. So yeah, the way you know. he's zipping in and out of the Paris Metro and that's where he keeps losing the the policemen or the cops is he'll go down, he'll run down very, very quickly and he'll get on a train. And then because it's 1966 or 1967, they don't know how to find him after that. They know what kind of line he's on, but they don't know when he's going to be able to get get on and off and those are really cool little chase sequences they're very simple they're very just one guy after another um but you're right you kind of imagine it being more action-packed look thinking back i think it's more action-packed than the movie actually is because the movie is very very quiet it is all about kind of because you're in alan delon's shoes for the whole thing you really except for maybe a few scenes with the cops like when they're talking about how they're actually gonna get him like actually n- not just get him, but actually prove that he was actually the, who they think he is. Cause they can't seem to get a handle on him. They know it's him. They just can't prove it. Exactly. And so you do kind of in your head, when you're thinking about it, you do imagine it being a bit more fast paced, a bit more action packed, a little bit more pointing guns in everyone's faces, but it's really not. It is. I mean, the scene when he's, um, the other guy, I think it's at his apartment. He's basically um, putting a gun at him. And there's this great moment of saying, you don't talk a lot, do you? And he goes, not when there's a gun in my face. And he says, is that a rule? More I have it. Um, it is so goddamn cool. And that is kind of this very thing that happens within bigger action moments that happen in movies now. But this is just two guys talking in a room. Um, and he does, oh, he puts the gun down and then he does point at him. So there is a little bit of that in there. So these, these little moments of action but they're yeah. done very, very quietly. And it's it's much more of a character piece than I think a big action movie. But because it's so good, you tend to fill in the blank spots a little bit. Kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the gore. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, because like I said earlier, like I literally was just thinking about like action sequences. But like 
it wasn't because I was like bored or anything. I was just like, like, how can I make this movie even more awesome than it is? But like, I mean, by itself, it's great though. Like I, the thing that too, that I really liked about it was the, the music was really great. I liked the music a lot. Yes. Uh, in the film, uh, the French movies always have really cool music. Oh, <laughs> they really do. Um, it's a great jazz place. Um, so the, they, they were able to entice a lot of jazz artists to come over there, but they do have a great kind of sense of, uh, music. And this movie does this as well. It is, yeah, all shot location. I love how it's all shot location, but Melville still manages to create a almost made up kind of Paris. This Paris is very quiet um, because they're using a lot of foley with the footsteps, these big footsteps. Um, you're a little bit outside the city, but mainly you're in center city, but you don't get that hustle and bustle that you would, that Paris would usually be because it's a big city. Um, so yeah, I think it's easy to do that with because it is such a good movie but it's all about the things that aren't being said in this movie. As I said, there's not a huge amount, a lot, lot of dialogue. Um, so you are really kind of, you are really putting yourself in the shoes of Alan Delon. So it's going to be natural that you're just kind of going to imbue all these other things into it. And I think that's a really smart way of doing this movie. It's interesting. You mentioned the, the lack of people around. Because uh, it's something I didn't realize, realize it. And then I was just thinking in my head, last year I saw Breathless for the first time. And that movie has tons of people around. Yeah. You know, and I was like, and that has like a different, they're very similar movies in some ways, but like completely different in others. And I think that's what makes Le Samurai stand out is how quiet it sort of is. So like, I think you are in many ways in the the body of Alain Delon because he has to always pay attention around him. So when you have sort of that quietness, you can kind of pick out certain like noises that he might have picked out himself that kind of really get you into the character more. And I think that is what makes the movie so special too. It's just, you kind of feel like you're his character as well. So... Yeah, exactly. Um, and when someone does come into frame, you suddenly pay real attention to that movie, where this Breathless is very different, even though it is, again, a man on the run. Um, it is more kind of this, um, well, uh, Godard just picked up a camera and just started filming, um, whether those people who are in the streets wanted to be in the movie or not. But um, it's, uh, yeah, La Samurai is much more constructed and you everything matters. That's nothing that and there's nothing in this movie that um melville wants doesn't want to show you there's, there's none of that every person who comes into frame is important every person um every thing that um melville does i mean i love the scene when he's first at the police station he's been picked up because this whole thing is that he uses uh nathalie uh to, as his uh alibi that's this kind of his accident man thinks what he's known for is that he has amazing alibis he's alibi man um so they pick him up they take him to the police station with a whole bunch of people and they're trying to get um people to recognize him which is when i was like going dude it's Alan Delon. you're gonna recognize him but they no one does because it's eyewitnesses they're all a little bit fuzzy and that's the only time you see him in a group of people and it's all very constructed. I mean, everyone's taking off jackets, swapping jackets to try and because the police are just trying, trying every combination to try and see if they can get someone to recognize them. 
And the one person who does isn't saying, cause she's like, I'm slightly in love with you. Um, and it is, but it's incredible. And that's the only time you see him around a whole bunch of people and it is so constructed and so maneuvered and so kind of, yeah, the police station's weird and sterile, almost looks kind of futuristic. Um, but that is the only time you see him in a group of people. And that's just kind of reinforcing the fact that he is kind of like a ghost. He can kind of slip in, out, in, a, in and out of situations very, very easily. And I love I love that scene of him in the police station. Yeah, that one was great too, because I was like, how is he going to get out of this situation? Yeah. And he gets out of it by just, you know, just being like calm the whole time. Yeah. And the other scene I really like too that reminded me is a little bit later on, it goes back to the scene of the crime for reasons. And the guy's like, was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? And it's just like, he knows that he's like, was the one who was doing it now, but like, but he was so cool and calm. It's just like, okay, well, I, I guess it makes sense for him to come back here. It's, you know, I thought that was an interesting sequence later on in the film to kind of make yeah. it. Sorry. I think the other thing I'm thinking of too, is like, though, you can totally tell like how he's starting to unravel a little bit though. Cause I think maybe back earlier on, if he would have done something, he never would have went back, but I think he kind of knows that things are unraveling for him. And he just kind of wants to make everything go full circle before it's time for him to, to go uh, at the very end of the movie. So I think that's kind of interesting to think about his character. Like he kind of goes out on his own uh, accord too. Mm. So like, I think that's why he's like, you know, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my own. Not because I think the police figure it out because somebody put me down because you know i do things to kind of let it happen which is interesting for a contract killer to to do yeah he is in full you can tell he's a man who's used to being in full control so you can tell things are unraveling like he's got to me he's got the police he's got the people who hire him obviously he's got a few other things you know um also people trying to fight he's got a few things kind of happening and he kind of realizes that he's losing the everything's kind of falling apart so when he does go to the club right at the end to oppo- supposedly kill um, Kathy Rosier, Rosier, um, it is it is this kind of wonderful moment of him going out on his own terms, and it's also to save her. So it's this kind of really nice thread of those two actually having this weird, really kind of weird relationship where they never had a relationship, but they keep kind of um, reaching out to each other in a weird way and. It is this kind of, yeah, I really love the ending of this movie. <laughs> that was the only thing that I, I think I had to, I have to like ruminate on and listen to other people talk about it. Cause I'm not entirely sure why he went with death by cop uh, the way he did. Mm. And I think I thought that was, I like movies that have endings where you have multiple interpretations of why he would do something. And then you can really sort of recontextualize the movie that you saw ahead of it. So yeah. it's like one of those, it's definitely a movie that I want to read more like criticism about, uh, you know what I mean? Like just to really kind of immerse myself into all this. And I think part of it is maybe a lot of it is the whole Bushido thing that they talk about at the very beginning. Yes. Like there's things that I, 
I feel like I need to learn more about to really understand that ending more. Uh, so what what is your interpretation of that? My interpretation of it, and it will probably change the more I watch this movie, because I think you're right. I think it's very beguiling. I don't think, because um, when it first ended, I was like, oh, wait, what? There's no there's no bullets in the gun? Wait, he's suicide by cop? Okay. Um, I was a little bit, huh, interesting. Like, I knew it wasn't going to end well for him, because that's kind of, you could tell where the movie was leading, especially with the prosciutto thing at the beginning. This is kind of this weird French interpretation of what they think a samurai is, um, that that kind of thing as well as apart from being the whole neon noir. And now I generally think he cared for her. That is my interpretation now that I think he generally kind of maybe kind of had feelings for her. So it was a, if it was a choice between him or her, he was going to choose him. But in saying that, I haven't read though I haven't gone in and read um, anything about it just because when I'm talking about a movie, I'll, if I read things, I'll steal it. So I don't tend to, and then I'll forget where I got it from and I'll not reference them properly. So I don't tend to do that, but yeah, I want to read more about it as well because I think there's multiple interpretations you can have of, of, of that ending. Um, and, yeah. it, and it will change the more you watch it. Like, I don't think it's going to stay. I, and I think it's, that's on purpose. Like you're not exactly meant to know why he did that. And it the the key is definitely the relationship he has with uh Kathy Rosier's character. Mm. And I and I think that it's just something that uh need to to think about more and try to figure out that kind of relationship, why he would do that for somebody he doesn't really see a lot other than you know, she pretty much, you know, perjures herself to let him go free. Mm. Um but yeah, that's that's that'll be interesting. I I, I kind of hope people who are listening to the show uh, tweet us out the third interpretation because I think that would be really interesting. I think it would uh, be as well. Yeah, let, let us know if you've seen uh, *The Samurai* and you have a theory of, of why he did what he did in the end. I would love to hear it because I think this is the beauty of this movie: is you can watch it multiple times and get different readings out of it. Um. Which is actually no, that is something he did quite well. I've seen four of his movies, so um, and they all can be they're more a bit more straightforward than this movie. Like they're usually either a heist movie or a gambling movie or Le, Le Delos, which is like a noir on speed. Like it's so a noir that you don't even know what's happening in a lot of it. You're just like, what? What's Belmondo doing? I, I don't understand. <laughs> Everyone's wearing hats. <laughs> there are some pretty great hats. There are some amazing hats. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people wearing hats and I'm, I got to watch that movie again not a movie you should start do not watch La Delos as your first um, Melville watch La Samurai or the, or the Red Circle um, La Cerce Rouge I think it's uh, the French title um, yeah the the thing I immediately thought to myself when I was done too is like man I gotta see more of his movies because I didn't realize just how much like crime stuff he did I just assumed this was just the one thing he did uh, and the rest was all gonna be <laughs> I have a really just like bad thing where I make assumptions and it kind of reminds me when we talked about RRR earlier, like a mm. lot of people have assumptions about Indian films and they watch them. They're like, Oh, this is actually a lot different than I thought. Exactly. So. Yeah. The, I, um, I do this as well. Like I thought uh, for years, a French movie was um, Anna Karina smoking in bed for three hours. And there are those movies of, I have seen them, of French people in bed smoking for three hours. Um, in fact, I think 
the a new sight and sound list, which everyone is losing their mind about, calm down, um, is the, the greatest movie ever. Can't remember the name, but it is literally you're watching a four hour French movie about a woman going about her day. Um, I still, I still have not seen that movie. I would like to. I need to see that in a the theater because it's a long and drawn out movie. But yeah, the French did make those movies, but they also made a whole shit ton of others. And the whole point of um, the new wave, even though. Melville was making movies before that he was kind of a little bit older and he actually influenced a lot of the guys like the the Goddards um the uh oh shoot 400 blows what's his name um it was in friggin closing counters anyway that guy um and, uh, yes thank you um and all those guys were actually influenced by him because Melville was not working within the French uh, studio system. He was using locations. He was kind of doing his own thing and that's what they liked and that's what they wanted to do with it, which is why when you're watching Breathless, you're literally on a Paris street with people just wandering around doing things their day to day. That was a lot of how they made their, their, their movies. And it is, yeah, it's a really sort of interesting period. And he was a crime guy. He loved making, he loved American noirs. And those are the kind of movies he wanted to make. So when you're looking at his filmography, it's a lot more um, action-packed, I guess. is probably the best way to say it, even though he was not an action director. Uh, but he kind of used um, some of the visuals of those action moments from the 1940s and 50s to make his to make his movies. Uh, I know I was reading, I just recently watched a noir called, um, oh my God, I now forgot what the name is, Harabella Fonte. Oh my God, sorry, I'm going to pause this a minute and look up that movie. God damn it. Yeah, I often have letterboxed up and I just start doing stuff because I'm like, I can't, my brain doesn't work. <laughs> and my brain is not working and I cannot remember this title. Oh, Come on. The odds against tomorrow. Sorry, I'll edit all that out. And for me to say, I just watched a Harry Belafonte movie, Odds Against Tomorrow, which is an amazing noir from 1959 uh, with um, Robert Ryan. And this is a movie that Melville apparently loved. Um, And this is about a bank heist that goes really wrong. Um, And so that's the kind of thing he liked to make. He liked to, he was very mannish. He liked to make these movies about these men kind of very good at the jobs but they happen to be criminals and then you have all these forces kind of surrounding them. And those are the kind of movies that he liked to make. Um, and yeah, um, the French could make some really good thrillers. Um, Claude Chabot, if you've, he was definitely part of the new wave, but later on in his career, he was known as the Hitchcock of, of France. So yeah, the, the French um, have very specific periods in their movie making like everyone else. Um, but they are much more varied then I think people get them credit for, especially in the uh, 60s. Um, if you want to watch a three-hour people smoking in bed, you can absolutely watch The Mother and the Whore. And if you want to watch something that is very different, you watch Less Samurai. So, yeah. Yeah, the other thing, too, I was thinking is that, A, I'm surprised we don't get remakes of these movies because they just feel like they would... You just change a couple things and boom, you just got a, a movie. Yeah. Um, and then also, too... French are still making awesome action movies to this day. Like yeah. Lost Bullet 2 is French. That came out this year. That was awesome. I only so. just found out the French are really good at action movies. I had no idea. I think it was when they're, Lost oh, Bullet so, came out. Good at them. And then they're talking about um 
Oh, Jean-Pierre, Be- uh, not Jean-Pierre, uh, Belmondo, and who was a, a big actor in a lot of the new wave stuff. So he was playing the cool kind of kid who was always in trouble. And then you find out the second half of his career and he's doing Jackie Chan shit, like jumping on trains and doing stunts that should have gotten them killed. Um, yeah. It is, yeah, no, the French have actually a, a quite a longer breadth of action movies than you give them credit for. But yeah, Lost, I haven't seen Lost Bullet too, but Lost Bullet is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they, they make great genre movies. Yes. And I feel like we should stop with the whole, oh, the French are, oh, the French are just whatever, uh, artsy fartsy when, when reality, they can make some pretty great genre films, just uh, like La Samurai. Yes. Uh, and they make great, um, genre movies that win, uh, the Palme d'Or, like Titan, which is about a woman who loves her car. Um, yeah. Yeah. Raw is, it was one of the best, um, horror movies I've seen in the last decade. Uh, it is friggin' incredible. Um, I still have not seen Martyrs because I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> yeah, Martyrs is a tough one to watch. Yeah, um, I love Inside. That's I love one of my Inside. Favorite slashers. Inside is thing. amazing, but I, I I cringe even though I've never been pregnant. But I'm like, oh Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, it's funny. The first time I saw that movie, I did not know it was cut, and then I saw it again with a bunch of friends, and it was mm. the uncut. And then I was like, holy shit. Sorry, guys, I was not expecting this. Yeah, I've, seen, I've only seen the uncut. Like, <laughs> it's a friend recommended it. Brent, Brent yeah, Peterson recommended insane. it. Yeah, and I was just like, holy fuck. Um, <laughs> Man, the then, French, let me tell you. And then I'm like, I'm going to have to wait until I watch Martyrs, <laughs> but I will watch it one day. I'm just being a scaredy cat because I know what happens in the movie and now I've got it in my head, even though I think what in my head is worse than actually what happens in the movie. Um, no, I hope so. It's not. It's <laughs> just as worse as you think. Oh, um, yeah, which is why I haven't seen it yet. I'm not sure. Do I really want this in my head? But yeah, they do make very interesting movies, and they've got they tend to they when they take a genre, they tend to go hard on it, like action, horror, no, uh, noir, especially with *Le Samurai*. I mean, *Le Samurai* is kind of the ultimate noir in a way. I don't know, even though it's very cool, it's very jazzy, it's very very simple very jazzy um but it just all works it's it is an ex i would say it's more of an exercise in style than john woo ever is because he's still well he should be still making movies um and he was trying to get the is it yeah. the killer remade um well he's doing that he's they're on pre-production or post-production on silent night yeah, the, the yes. dialogueless action movie that has stunt coordinators from 87 11 working on it so it's John Woo doing John Wick stuff is going to be amazing. So that is going to be interesting putting the John. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Wait, um, we'll, we'll talk about more about John Woo here in a minute. We'll talk about John Woo in a minute, but um, I think because the French love style, like in their movies, they just kind of tend to love it a little bit more than say other European countries. Well, every country has their own style, but the French have a very specific French style. I think people think it's kind of one thing. And then, when you go in and watch it, you realize it's just as varied, it's just as fun um, as anything else. And uh, yeah, the new wave was such a fascinating period because it influenced pretty much what America would do in the seventies. As you were saying, you've heard it's kind of like the greatest um, decade in in movies. And I don't think the seventies would have happened if the guys like Coppola, Scorsese, even Spielberg, I mean, he, loved those movies um watched them and would do their own thing i mean yes spielberg is kind of known as the blockbuster guy um but 
he absolutely loved um he loved Francois Truffaut finally got the name um and he put him in Close Encounters of the Third Kind and my favorite remark of that movie is uh Truffaut's like watching them do something with a helicopter and he goes how much does that cost to do with a helicopter and they tell him he goes I can make a movie out of that (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I don't necessarily think the American, um, 1970s would look as it did if the French new wave didn't happen. You can kind of see how different countries have influenced each other. Um, maybe, uh, 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 is also a perfect example of that because you can kind of see a little bit of the outside influences that go into, um, a lot of Indian filmmaking, but they're putting their own cultural spin on it or their own cultural thing out of it. And you're like, oh, okay. And that's like every other single, um, movies are never made in vacuums, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yep. I agree. Mm. Anything else you want to say about (laughs) Le Samurai? (laughs) No, no. Uh, yeah. Like, like I said, uh, everyone wants to talk about me about that movie. Go right ahead. Mm. I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. It's a great movie. It's just like, and yeah, watch more Alan Delon movies. Um, Rocco's brothers, um, uh, the, purple sunday when he's also playing tom ripley um a lot of people play tom ripley um it is yeah he's just a really kind of um enigmatic actor who kind of wears a lot of shoes and is usually pretty great in his movies and with that we're going to be getting into probably the main events because there is so much to dig into with this movie but it is of course john woo and the killer all right curtains are back opening what do you show for this movie, Larry? I mean, seriously, I have been... <laughs> this is the one I actually struggled with quite a bit because it's such a seminal movie. Uh, okay, so the first trailer I'm going to show is Evil Dead 2. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin... Something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead 2. And there's a very good reason for it. Oh, I I'll, love it. Why? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. Okay. A couple of things. One, uh, obviously, Evil Dead 2 is directed by Sam Raimi. Yes. And Sam Raimi helped produce uh, Hard Target, which is John Woo's first American film. And he revered John Woo so much, he often told the studio to back the fuck up because of Masters at Work. He so, gave, yep, he gave, I, uh, yeah. he, he gave, uh, uh, Wu to breathe and just, yeah, as well as probably because Van Damme was probably being a bit of a dick on that one. So he got, <laughs> got away with a lot on that movie. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on, but, uh, he was there with him to make sure he got to make the best movie he could and hard target rules. And also, if you see the, the original American trailer to the killer, there's this line that at the time, seems real curious but like i think i understand why they said it now is when they call it the thriller comedy of the year for the killer i'm like okay Mm -hmm. but then you're like evil dead 2 is also a thriller comedy 
right? Yeah. So I was like, and then we'll talk about more about with the killer, but like, there's definitely a lot of comedy in the killer, and I understand why that quote isn't now. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, man, I got you know that too. Just bring bring the house ready to like see something crazy because they're both crazy movies. So that would be my first trailer. Evil Dead Two. They do the energy is slightly different, but in terms of going for big, going for going for the large, book butchered that sentence. But yeah, they both do that. And yeah, Sam, I love the fact that Sam Raimi was producing Hard Target and just told everyone to back off. There's a master at work, and you need to respect that because there's one thing that the Americans love to do is bring over a great uh, foreign language, not American director, and then note him to death. And the fact that we got some of the American movies he made, like Hard Target and Face Off and all that kind of thing is pretty spectacular. And I was lucky enough to see Evil Dead 2 on a on the big screen in a movie theater recently. It played so well. Everyone you went to laugh at the right places. Like it was like Sam Raimi had them at the palm of his hand. And the moment when he's getting ready to say groovy works so well in an audience because you can feel yeah. everyone holding their breath. And then as soon as he as soon as Bruce Campbell says, groovy the whole place just erupted it it just worked so well it was like oh, sam yeah. raimi knows what he's doing <laughs> oh yeah he's uh one of my favorite directors of all time yeah there's you know there's certain directors that changed the game mm. sam raimi is one of them yes and john woo was one of them as well so i think yeah that's that, that's why I, yeah 100 yeah. yes um <laughs> Okay, I overthought these trail. Wait, oh god, what am I gonna do? Okay, um, okay, you know what? My first one, I'm gonna go for a movie that is definitely influenced uh, by the killer and or just John Woo in general because they um, cast uh, Chaeyoung Fat and Anton Fuqua was just basically making a John Woo movie. But I do like the replacement killers from 1998. <laughs> in theaters around the world. Where action is almost a religion, they worship a hero. He arrives. Chow Yun Fat is John Lee, a deadly assassin. Which brings us to your task. It involves a cop. In a dangerous world. After that, your obligation to me ends. Eddie. I need a passport. I know this is broad. Her name's Meg Cooper. I want forged documents. Okay. You said forged. So what's the time frame? Immediate. Now, the replacements are here. Don't turn around. Cops? Assassin. Yeah, that is definitely uh, him trying. Yeah, he doesn't look. He doesn't quite get there. But to be fair, I mean, it's John Woo. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, I do like uh, Antoine Fuqua movies quite a bit. But when you're trying to get up to my story level, you're never quite going to get there. But I have fun with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I saw this one in the theater when it came out, for obvious reasons. Try mm. and fat and and um, Amira Sorvino uh, was fresh off for an oscar win yep i my favorite thing is when an oscar winner follows it up with an action movie i love it i love it so much <laughs> the greatest because they're like hi i won my oscar i can do whatever the f i want so mm. um yeah so I, I like their chemistry in the movie i think it's they you could definitely tell that like 
it's not like a romantic one it's just a one of friendship and respect for each other yes and i'm very big fan of obviously that sort of relationship people have in movies and uh it doesn't quite work as a whole but there's enough in it that it's like a fun watch um my biggest issues with the movie are weird technical ones where i think the the guns sound terrible they in do. the movie for some reason they're like lasers or something and they're very muted and i don't I, it's really awkward i don't like it um and like he does giant fat does some cool gunplay stuff near the end but it's shot too close and too mm. erratic for it to really kind of uh hit where you're going for and then like the replacement killer portions like literally like five minutes of the movie you know so maybe a different title would have been better um but like you could definitely tell because Fuqua ends up making awesome movies. So it's just like, you know, sometimes you you do your first one, you figure out what you're good at, and then you go and make, you know, the equalizer. Yeah. Is... Amazing. I love the equalizer yeah. movies. I when I found I, out they're doing yeah. a third, I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, they could do like a hundred of them. I don't care. Yeah. Just keep just getting people getting to be impolite uh Denzel Washington and him kicking the living shit out of them. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, this movie doesn't work. It's really early in his his career, and I think it is America trying to do what um what uh John Woo does, but in the actual fact, it's a very hard thing to do. And you can only when um Woo, as we mentioned before, Albert Pune tries to do it. He actually does it well because he has this kind of sense of timing, and he's was such just an imaginative. Uh, I don't quite know how his brain works, kind of director that he was able to kind of do his own thing with it and this kind of feels like a carbon copy even though i could watch it in a second you put replacement killers on and i'm i'm gonna watch it but it's this kind of weird um thing of when you say place this even against um hard target which is an awesome awesome movie and you're like oh yeah something's missing um or even uh, yeah against the killer which i have and you're like "Mm, something's missing and and it it even has chow yun fat but this they can't quite do it i think it's a fa- i think it's, fa- it's fascinating to put show that in front of the movie that actually does everything well i will say to the movie's credit mm. it is still a 90s action movie and yes. there's something about 90s action <laughs> movies that just work better than a lot of the stuff you get theatrically now i'm i mean you even barely even get kind of stuff like this oh yeah it's on netflix. it goes on netflix <laughs> yeah and like i said i mean there's tons of awesome action movies when you look for them but just like the studio 90s action pictures there's no nothing like them nope it's like mm. nothing like them it's like uh 90s studios neon noir or crime movies serial killer movies all that kind of thing i love give me a single white female give me a copycat give me a seven they'll kind of up up and down on seven but um give me that kind of thing and same with a 90s action movie i don't know what it is there's something yeah, the 90s was a decade where they were throwing things at a wall to see what stuck. Um, and now they know what sticks. So they're just going to make Black Adam, yeah. which I shouldn't just actually because I've never, I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. So sorry, Black Adam. I, I know you have your fans. So I'm... I think The Rock is okay. I, I think he's going to cry in his money and he'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's going to cry into his wads and wads of yeah. money that he has lying around his house. <laughs> and when he becomes president of the yeah. United States, he would just go, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool. Um, to everyone. <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah go on um yeah i was just gonna say what is your second gonna be your second trailer gonna be oh real quick i just wanted to point out too it's like 
back in the 90s when I saw Broken Arrow, like it was like, okay, well, this is whatever. And then I've recently watched it because I did an episode of Action Addicts. Mm. Uh, awesome podcast, by the way. Very awesome. And Scott knows, does a very good job. Yeah, it'll, it'll be out here shortly, I'm sure. But we talk about Broken Arrow and you watch it now and you're just like, like even on his worst day, John was better than like 90% of anything you get now. So yeah, the nineties, man, nineties rule. Nineties rule. I, I don't know if it was because of the John Woo influence over the nineties. It could be, um, or the sort of more Hong Kong influence over the nineties, the but yeah, just, uh, yeah. We recently worked Broken Arrow just for shits and giggles. And I'm like, actually this movie rules. Cause I went and saw it and wait, did Broken Arrow come out before? No, that came out before Face Off, wasn't it? Yeah. It was this movie after Hard Target. Uh, yeah, no, I did not see that in the theater because my first mo- uh, John Woo movie was, in fact, Face Off. So I would have seen that afterward. So I did not see yeah. that in the theater. I was like, hang on a minute. I don't think I did see that in the theater. I didn't like it, though. I was a bit confused by Face Off, as we'll probably get into when we talk about the killer. <laughs> sure. Look, style, I was a teenager and didn't understand style. So <laughs> no, it it's, it's, it's all good. Um, I've come um, around. But yeah, what is going to be your second trailer? Yeah, so speaking of 90s, I'm, I'm keeping it there, and I'm going to show a trailer for a movie called Joshua Tree with Dolph Lundgren. Welcome to Joshua Tree, a nice, quiet place in the sun. Dolph Lundgren, a nice, quiet guy. See, you turned out exactly like we all hoped. On the wrong side of the law. George Siegel, a tough cop with a badge. Makes no difference to me who makes this arrest. City, county, anything. You like him? I always liked him. But I'm gonna kill him. Kristen Alfonso, a tougher cop. You wanna know what happened then? Watch what happens now. Directed by Rick Armstrong, who is a longtime stunt guy. And sometimes it's referred to as Army of One. This is how I first watched it. And I'll never forget when I rented this movie. I didn't really know much about it other than it was Dolph Lundgren Mm -hmm. as a as a, a guy on the run. And there's a cop after him, so it's got very similar themes. Well, a very corrupt uh, George Siegel. Yeah. We're wearing an amazing yeah. hat, if I remember correctly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, awesome hat. Kind of really cool yeah. bad guy performance I really like. But then there's this sequence in a chop shop. Oh, shit, yeah. That is, I was like, wait, did John Wood direct this movie? Like, what's going on here? Like, it's he's doing two guns. He's, like, on, like, this uh, board with, like, wheels, and he's sliding on it while shooting two guns at people and it's just like the best John Woo ripoff action sequence ever and what's funny about it is uh, Vic Armstrong the director met Woo because they worked on uh, some of his movies and he's like yeah sorry man I, 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 I ripped off like a lot of your stuff and John was like it's okay I ripped off a lot of your stunts too Yeah. so there was like that cool <laughs> mutual admiration that I was like, yeah, you know, I, that's why I love when stunt guys do movies because yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll take something that they see and they may, and they'll just like shoot it well. Cause if you get like some like rando guy, like I don't hate to pick on the dude who made the Mortal Kombat movie, but like the guy hadn't watched an action movie in his life. So like, you know, he does like a bajillion cuts. You got a stunt guy and it's going to oh. be like, 
Oh, I, I, really I, I Victor well. Depper. He saw one, and that happened to be um, Born Identity. <laughs> to what oh, was, like, the second one. No, I have no idea, but he's cutting a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Put like you got a stunt guy in there. Like they have that knowledge of how to do, put these together uh, in, in, in the film. So like the whole sequence is not quite as belly beautiful as John Woo, but it has something that you don't see too often in movies uh, apart from like uh, nemesis or something like that. And, uh, but the other thing too, I really like about that movie is just Dolph Lundgren's awesome. Like he's so cool. He's like this giant dude, like shooting two guns. And I love Dolph so much. Doing really neat things. And he's got a nice relationship with the female lead whose name I can't remember in the film. And it's, I, I, it's a movie that I think more people need to see just cause it's a, a solid nineties, uh, very little small theatrical run, mostly basically a proto DTV film that we see uh, big in the nineties at the time. So, and it's a pretty sweet trailer too. get really people in the, in the mood for the movie coming up. So that's, that was, I was like, I gotta throw that in there. Yeah, no, I saw this for the first time this year, I think. It was part of Jurisploitation, which was a DTV day. So I chose, I, even if it yeah. got a small theatrical, I kind of just went, you know what, let's just say it's DTV. Um, it basically is. Yeah, and it blew me away with how much I really enjoyed it because I was not expecting the stunt work or the action to be as amazing. Like I didn't knew, I didn't know that who the director was exactly at the time. And I didn't really he was realize he was a stunt guy. So when you're watching it, I'm like, oh, holy shit, he's really going for it here. And yeah, Dolph is just so freaking cool. George Siegel's not giving a fuck in this movie. Um, you can kind of clearly tell he's there for the paycheck, but he's having fun and he's wearing his hat. And he's just I love doing that scenery hardcore. She's so chewing it so hardcore. Um and Dolph is just so great. And it's just this amazing, yeah, guy on the run. Uh, falsely accused if i remember correctly um but that scene in the chop shop is kind of amazing yeah, um it it's, it's a scene that makes you sit up and go okay what's happening now um no that is it's a great trailer and it's it's a really fun movie it is it is so good man i feel like i'm really good at this trailer thing you're getting real yeah you are good um <laughs> i'm gonna go super basic but for my next I love basic let's do it look okay uh the killer is uh dedicated to a certain filmmaker and if I'm going to watch one of John Woo's greatest movies, I'm going to show one of Scorsese's greatest movies. I'll fucking shine Goodfellas. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hey, Mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. I know I By the time I grew up, there was $30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. And believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. What do you do? I'm in construction. He's not Jewish. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Hey, Henry. Here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Uh, here's a leg. Here's a wing. <laughs> what do you like, the leg or the wing? It's you. to live any other way was nuts <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle we had it all just for the asking it's gonna be a good summer <laughs> for as long as i can remember i wanted to be a gangster it is yeah it's one of the it's his best movie i don't i don't know if i always put him in my top five scorsese's but it's hard to sort of say it's not his best 
movie. And yes, I do realize he made Raging Bull. I do realize he made Taxi Driver. I do realize what this guy made. But when you're sort of looking at just how this movie goddamn flows, how the camera moves, I mean, um, it is absolutely fucking incredible. I mean, it is so goddamn quotable. The whole thing with the frigging garlic and the rice. Oh, just chef's kiss. His mother and the painting. I mean, yeah. I guys, come on. It's Goodfellas. So, yeah, that's my trailer. <laughs> here's a here's a funny thing about Goodfellas. I'll, I'll never remember. I'll never forget this. So, I'm... Uh, 1990, I think, is when it was came out on VHS. Yes. Yeah, I'm at the Blockbuster, and it's Goodfellas is there, and I said to myself, because I'm just, I just turned 13 or turning 13, mm. and I'm like, I'm gonna be a man now because I'm getting bar mitzvah. <laughs> I'm like, I need to start watching adult movies, you know, instead of just like, like the cheesy horror movies or whatever. Yeah, I'd watch. And I'm like, you're a man now. You can watch Goodfellas. This is Martin Scorsese. Yeah, and you watch Goodfellas, and like, there really is not that a huge difference between the the crap i was watching at goodfellas it's still violent there's still like guns and gangsters and stuff i'm like i'm like a real i'm an adult now so it's not like i was watching like like the three-hour french smoking in a bed movie i was still watching a gangster movie so it's just i always think in my head how funny it was that i thought i was being an adult by watching goodfellas and while it is one of the greatest gangster films of all time uh there's still that kind of b movie to it that Scorsese loves know. a B movie, and that is shown through every single one of his movies, um, except for maybe when he gets all very the silence or the um, passion of of Christ kind of thing. Uh, but even then, he puts Defoe, he puts the most New York people in that movie to play Jesus. Yeah. Oh my God! Just right. I, I love you, Scorsese, so much. Um, when he's doing his more religious movies, I don't think you can see the B movie in them because he's he's obviously a very Catholic man, and this is kind of how he represents that. But when he yeah, when he's making his, I mean, he got a start under Corman. Um, he not no not a start, but he definitely did work for Corman. He Main Streets is absolutely that kind of thing as well. Um, I think the Main Streets probably had more influence on the killer than well, they were making this and Goodfellas around the same time. But yeah, he's kind of that kind of director because I even remember my dad when he got this on VHS. I think it was the next year, ninety one. So I would have only been maybe 10, maybe it was, maybe it was the year after 12. And my father said, okay, I'm going to watch a Martin Scorsese movie. So you can either be in here and watch this movie or you can leave. But I remember him saying a Martin Scorsese movie. And my dad didn't really say directors unless it was Steven Spielberg. So I knew, oh, this is a this is an important movie. Plus I knew it, it had been nominated at the Oscars. So I knew this was kind of a big deal. And the opening freaked the fuck out of me. I was not expecting that violent an opening of them opening the trunk and the guys in there. But it was my first Martin Scorsese and you never forget your first. But it is, yeah, it's 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 so good. It's just so good. Tell me two times. He says everything twice. It's, I just I just love those little bits in there. It's so good. Oh, I, I love telling somebody to go get their shine box. Go get their shine box. Go get their shine uh, The, yeah. Whenever I think of Goodfellas too, the other thing I think of is this quote somebody said that the best Oscar for Best Picture should give it out ten years after. Yes, as opposed to the year, because like if if they were to do this in the year two thousand, given Best Picture, it's not going to Dances with Wolves. Okay, it's probably no. going to Goodfellas. And I will defend Dances with Wolves. Okay, I don't know. I went and saw that at the the dad took me because we always took we had to see the best um, 
Oscar winner. Don't know how I sat through that at seven years old. That movie's four hours. <laughs> I, I sat through all of that. Um, but you're right. And 10 years later, it's not going to be Dances with Wolves. It's going to be, it's going to be The Goodfellas. Just like in 1980, even though I really do love Ordinary People. 10 years in 1990, it's going to be given to Raging Bull. Um, even yeah. And it's just, that's kind of how it works. I think Scorsese is... Uh, again, a guy who's kind of a little bit of ahead of his time. I think there's this weird pushback because he doesn't like Marvel movies and everyone's like, well, is he a that good a director? I'm like, shut up. He's everyone's like, film dad. People need to get over <laughs> that whole thing. Like, who gives a shit? Seriously. I mean, he's a man in his 80s now, I think. And he met, you look at his filmography, you really think he's going to sit down and watch the latest Marvel movie? No. <laughs> Guys. Yeah, I apologize for all the swearing I've done, but like, it just felt appropriate. It did. Like, um, just let him do what he wants to do. Like, it has nothing to do with anything. Um, but I just, yeah, um, it is. But I've, there's been a few articles and I'm just like going, seriously, don't. We went yeah. through that with Spielberg like five years ago. We don't need to go through this with Scorsese. Both are good filmmakers, okay? <laughs> just let it go. Yeah, that's that's an understatement, right? Like, yeah, he's, he's good. Like, He's good. <laughs> It's like, like my, my review for the killer it was a good yeah. movie and everyone just it's, went, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Bye. it's always like when someone's online it's like what's your most normal movie opinion martin scorsese was a good director yeah he knows it's what he's normal. doing martin yeah. scorsese knows how to move the camera <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah so um with that awesome. we might as well get into another director who knows how to move the camera and knows where to put it yeah um sometimes directors are just sometimes better than the others um and that is of course john woo's the killer one of the 10 best films of the year a high octane mixture of outlandishly stylized camp and outrageously sensational shootouts outrageously exhilarating guaranteed to tingle the most jaded moviegoers palate Film concocted with nitroglycerin, the combined energy of the Road Warrior, Robocop, and the Terminator. The killer is great cinema. Uh, now, when did John Woo first come into your life, Larry? Uh, when I rented the killer on VHS, how old were you? Uh, it was around the time I rented Goodfellas. I'm pretty oh. sure. Oh, so it's after your bar mitzvah and you were now a man. So you could yeah. watch it's, it's <laughs> the highbrow so... action movies. Uh, this morning I was, I was just looking up, uh, something cause I was just wanting to get my timeline mixed mm. and like my, my timeline at that period is all wonky because I saw something that said the VHS for the killer came out in 1992. I'm like, there's no way that movie came out in, on VHS in 1992. I'm pretty sure it was earlier than that, but I'll never forget. I know exactly where in the blockbuster I saw it was. It was on. Okay. So they got the back wall, right? Yeah. And then there's a little wall that like goes out a little bit. And then there's like a door for the break room or whatever. Then there'll be the, the next set. Mm-hmm. Right, and the killer's on that short wall thing, mm. 
I see the picture of of China Fat with a gun on the front, and then they talk about ten thousand bullets. And I was like, well, I kind of rent this movie. <laughs> That's a lot of bullets. <laughs> and I was like, because I, you know, I was really starting to get into action movies at that time. Mm. And I watched this, I watched it, and I was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. i like it changed my life in terms of how I watched movies. Mm. And it was like the like when I was growing up, horror directors were like the thing for me, like uh Sam Raimi and Wes Craven, but like John was the first like action director that I was like, like this is incredible stuff, and it also it's a foreign movie, so like hey, I'm watching foreign movies now, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, but like, like ever since then it was just like I just had to 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 watch, uh, John Woo movies, and then Hard Boiled came out on tape, watched that like three times in one day. The first time I. I got the movie. I was like, Oh, I got to see this. And then, you know, from there I was the early days of the internet, you know, so you start talking to other people who like John Woo. And uh, I got to go see once a thief on a midnight screening in like 93, 94. Oh, something wow. like that. Yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, so someone had to drive me cause you know, I was too young or whatever, mm. or maybe I was quite 16. I don't know. But like, he, there's something special about John Woo movies. Like when you watch it, it's unlike any other action director before and since. Uh, in my estimation, he's the goat of action cinema. There's yep. nobody better. Uh, there are some amazing action directors now that do some great stuff. Um, like Chas Stahelski mm-hmm. is amazing. And I bet you when he's done with the John Wick stuff, everything he does after that's going to be incredible. But like a lot of these things wouldn't happen or wouldn't be like they are without a filmmaker like John Woo getting people into Hong Kong cinema and their amazing action directing. Um, I sometimes get into arguments online where people are like, oh, well, John Woo's just whipping up John Woo. And it's like, they're two completely different things because they are that movie changed the game for action cinema mm. right now, just like John Woo did at the time. And they're like, but they're done so differently. Like this, like the action in like a John Wick is more like kind of like a realistic sort of uh military-ish um stuff like you, yeah. you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I do. Um tactical action. As uh, Chris um, Barreras talks about, mm. um, John Woo's action is more balletic. Uh, there's lots of movement. Um, the arms, like um, John Wick will have his, when he's holding a gun, will keep it much closer to his body, like in collateral. Yeah. It's much closer. It's much more, um, thing where there's John Woo is much more ballet. It is much more leaping, Absolutely. arms uh, fully stretched out. It is, um, yeah, no, the two are two are very different. I mean, I think people kind of sometimes confuse influence with uh, ripping off, which I think is not the same thing. I mean, Quentin Tarantino has made a whole career out of making movies out of his influences because he loves movies. Um, now, you can point to him and say that's derivative, that you want, but at the same time, he is doing something different with it while he's playing homage to, I mean, he's always very clear about what he's ripping off. He's never not said, oh, I came up with that. No, he's like, no, I, I love Pam Greer. Why wouldn't I make Jackie Brown? Um, 
all kind of the thing uh, of westerns and, and kung fu movies and all that kind of thing and john woo had his influences he was influenced by um melville as we've said about before he was influenced by hitchcock he was influenced by um previous um Shaw Brothers movies that he grew up that he probably grew up watching um or not growing would have been quite um he I think he started in Golden yeah, he Harvest worked, he worked on Shaw Brothers yeah oh movies. yeah you did I've got those movies downstairs I haven't had a chance to watch them but I've got a Eureka pack of his two early movies I'm pretty sure they're <laughs> Shaw Brothers um yeah so he worked yeah with he, that he thing. worked with like Chang Che and all yeah, those guys yeah so he worked with that so those are influence so he brings all of that. He brings also into the um, Peking um, opera kind of style, which is yeah. throughout those kind of movies. I mean, if you watch Shaw Brothers, it's acrobatic and ballet. Um, if you watch uh, Golden Harvest, it's the same thing because that's where Jackie Chan got his and Sammo Hung got all their kind of things as was in the Peking opera. It Just because you're influenced by something doesn't mean that you're copying it. It just means that's how you think about art um no one thinks about yeah. art in the vacuum yeah as i said movies aren't made in the vacuum art is not you're making art is you're going to be thinking about art and how you think about art and that is how you've consumed art and that that's, is that's that is the killer. i agree yeah, yeah. well and same sorry with John Wick. oh sorry no and that is the yeah. same with john wick is what i'm saying is that yes yeah. you can see the influences on john wick but this is a movie that shows um, Buster Keating in every single of the three movies. He's there's an image of Buster Keating there saying, "We pay homage to the great." This is what this is what we're trying to do, and that is the same with every other influence that John Wick has. They're not hiding it. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. No, yeah, no. yeah. Like when we talk about like the action too being balletic, like he loved musicals and stuff growing up. Like West Side Stories, he yeah. always talks about that. So that makes sense uh he also loves jazz too and jazz has a rhythm mm -hmm. right and a lot of these action sequences have kind of a, a rhythm to it as well yes that makes it much different like when you were watching like um action movies growing up uh, like commando for example there's just a lot of one guy shooting other other guys are just sort of falling down it's not quite as you know balletic um here now he is showing how beautiful the human body moves in action sequences. And yeah. then you start seeing more of that style to make it more interesting. So then, you know, so now that's why like, um, you know, a lot of uh, gunfights and stuff afterwards have been more interesting, mm. hopefully more interesting. <laughs> Not that it's good at it, but you know, like it, it, it changed the way we did action. It really did. And this is not the first time he's even doing this kind of thing. I mean, for the first, I watched Hard to Target maybe two years ago. I think it was after Matt Bledslow's episode when he did The Killer and Hard Target. And I'm like, I really need to try and get some of these movies. So I went on eBay. I'm pretty sure they're mostly bootlegs. <laughs> um, seriously, can we just have yeah. like some blues of just like even the main four? I'll be thankful, like Better Tomorrow, One and Two, Killer and Hard Boiled. I think you get like, uh, to catch a thief and uh, uh bullet to the head please um yeah it's unfortunately a lot of that situation is the rights holders uh, i was talking to matt essery about this and yeah. he was saying a lot of these rights holders know the worth and they're asking way too much money for a lot of this stuff oh you mean like the guy who well actually no it's coming out on blu-ray so they must have tried they must have convinced him martin but there was a specific producer who had a lot of george a a, a. romero's movies and he knew their worth and was yeah. asking way too much which is why you it's so it's annoying like, ah 
Um, now there are rumors that Criterion's going to release, re-release like the Killer and Hardboiled, but those are just like rumors. I've heard those like, for a come while. Come on, yeah. Criterion. Yeah. Just get all of his movies. Pay whatever. Just do it. it I'm tired of hearing people coming up to me on my Movember account, be like, "Hey, how do I see this?" I'm like, <laughs> "I eBay, uh, warrant." Like it's. I mean, I I don't necessarily want to tell people to go steal things but you know go to hong kong rescue even yeah. though it'll take you like a year and a half to get your movie like do anything you can to see them when there's an official release though go get that better official go release. buy them yes so we get more cool things yes because we can't let these movies go on the wayside no especially what's happening with hong kong at the moment and how uh mainland china is kind of taking control over certain things um there was a spate of just them just releasing especially on british labels a lot of hong kong stuff to just try and get it out that they were getting out there but they couldn't obviously get the john woo stuff because it's the john woo but um yeah just yeah i got mine mostly on these uh dodgy <laughs> blu-rays still pretty good actually but yeah, I um saw sort of finally saw Hub World, saw um Better Tomorrow as one and two this year. And just watching a Better Tomorrow, because I think oh, it wasn't his first time. Was it his first time working with Charion Fat, a Better Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Just him with the hundred dollar bill <laughs> lighting a cigarette. Oh yeah, lighting it up and smoking, yeah. It's just like, oh my god, you're the coolest He's man so on cool. earth. And this one, again, when you see him in the church and He's just looking up. It's not even a religious, you can tell it's not exactly a religious moment, even though I know John Wu apparently is a man of faith. John Wu looking up, it's just like him trying to remember that he's human, which is kind of unlike the Le Samurai, which is Alan Delon's just mostly given up on that. He's just, he realizes he's not human, which is kind of why he's retreated into this noir kind of figure. Um, Chow Yun Fat's Jeff keeps trying to remember that he is, in fact, a human being especially before when he goes out and, and kills someone. But him walking through that goddamn club is, <laughs> I'm just like, you are sex on legs. <laughs> that is what you are. You're just like the coolest <laughs> man on the planet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, he's just, he's got, I think that's what was interesting, I think, is when he became such a big star because of being put into suits, like in A Better Tomorrow and The Killer. And he just looked like the handsomest guy in the world. Mm. And he's just got this like cool demeanor about him. Um, so like when I first time I saw the killer, I was just sort of like immediately drawn to this character. And I'm like, it's like, this is, there's something about this guy. So then obviously you try to watch as much as you can with him. Um, but John Woo, like you could tell that he loves giant fat oh, and yeah. he like films him doing and being just, he hooks him up like, uh, but action for everyone, Liam O'Donnell over there talks about hooking up the actors. Yes. Talking about hooking up an actor, my goodness. Oh my god, that is yeah, and this was written for him. Um, this it just put him in the coolest suits, making looking him all good. And when he sort of goes in and starts shooting, and he's like pushing through on the table over, he's got the two guns, it's all kind of beautiful. It's done in this very gorgeous slow-mo. Um and you're just kind of captivated because you're right. There's a way he gets his actors to, actors to move during an action scene and it's poetic. It is beautiful. It is music. It is all very timed. It's, and yeah, I, I shouldn't just Commando because I do love Commando. I mean, there's nothing better than watching Arnold Schwarzenegger run through a compound just shooting people. But um, yeah, that is a very different type of action. And then when you watch 
this type of action, which is why I think it's been so influential, is that as we go on, more and more action movies um, are treating their action scenes like musicals. I mean, to the point where you get something like Baby Driver, and yes, I do realize those two leads, um, uh, um, but that's what it, uh, Edgar Wright is doing. He said, "I wanted to make an act. I wanted to make a musical action movie, and he did." Um, and that's kind of all stems from John Woo walking into this club where you've got this young woman just singing uh, beautifully. And then all of a sudden it just turns violent so quickly. And you've just had this kind of peaceful kind of, even though you were watching a John Woo movie. So when I'm watching something peaceful, I'm like, things are about to get fucked up very, very soon. And they do, but God, it's good to look at. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You mentioned uh, the songs at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, originally he wanted you know jazz to be like a big part of that that movie and i think that really would have been awesome because like hard boiled is a very jazzy movie it is and you know hard is awesome obviously but i have to defend those two songs a little bit oh They're i do like as well so memorable they like get stuck in my head all the time i like the fact you know? that it's kind of a lounge singer vibe like, I mean, I keep calling it a club. And when you think of a club, you're thinking of John Wick kind of walking through a club with the gun and or in collateral. This is kind of like a Vegas, Hong Kong style kind of lounge kind of thing. Like a nightclub. Like thing. a nightclub. You've got the singer. She's like playing the keyboard. She's singing. It's very, very um, much more lounge music, which I think actually works for this movie really well. It, it sets this beautiful tone. And because those songs are so related to um, Sally Yee, because all the sort of very romantic themes are around her because that's kind of where the movie centers around in terms of the romance and, um, well, not all the melodrama because you've got Danny Yee um, coming in between them, but it is, <laughs> who does he love more, really? No, um, yeah. It, it, yeah, the only thing that would make this movie more perfect is if the Danny Lee character was played by Tony Leung, and I only say that because I'm in love with Tony. <laughs> uh, only, yeah, no, only. I think yeah. Danny Lee's fantastic in this movie, by the way, but I'm just sitting there going, I could be watching a Tony Young movie. Yeah. Like, God damn I mean, it, Tony Lindsay, stop is, it. Tony Lung. He's one of the best actors ever. Yes. Um, but the, the the reason why Danny Lee works in the movie, though, is like he's did a lot of cop characters up to this point. Mm. So it was like something for the- He's such uh, a cop in this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, real quick, by the way, mm. if this is a real thing, we really had our theater going and we're doing this double feature and everything. Yeah. I would have hired some like really cool local singer and they would have performed the song before we saw the movie. Yes. Like, you know, that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So Danny Lee um, was so used to playing those, those cop characters. It, 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 it worked for what he was trying to do. And I guess I was reading today. One of the reasons why things are a little, little crazy with like Hong Kong uh, movies like in order to get Danny Lee he was under contract with the cinema city so like he had to use his like production company uh to like have some profits from the movie and whatnot so I think one of the reasons why a lot of these movies get to be kind of hard to find is like multiple people have a piece uh, of the pie. Yes. Yes. That that <laughs> so makes sense. Cause like, I know ugh. funding for this movie was tricky because I know funding for a better tomorrow two fell through for John Woo. Um, yeah. A Sue, a Sue Hawk, I think said something to do. I don't know. It gets very, you're yeah, right. So Troy Hart, like I love, I love Troy Hart, but Troy like, Hart, yeah. he, he needs to like, so 
how do how do I say this? Like he's <laughs> he's an amazing director. He is. But like he's not always the best producer. Uh and like it's funny too, because if you as much as I like double team and knockoff, like they're still not as good as Hard Target. And I still don't I I don't think Trark is good as, as John Woo is. But like no one is good as John Woo. Things, That's not a fair statement. But like Troy Troy Hark is amazing, right? He is, yeah. But like he should he was just he was a pain in the ass. It sounds that, like that it. feels yeah. like John Woo is like whole half of his career is people just being like a pain in the ass to him. Just like Sam Raimi got it. Just like let him make his movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> it'll it be kinda, awesome. Just let him make it. Yeah, it's kind of because he wasn't really working within the main studio system at this point. I mean, he started with Shaw Brothers. He worked within that system, and in Hong Kong, had to very was a very strong studio system for a very long time in terms of how they made their movies. And John Woo sounded like he was a bit of an independent in terms of that. So trying to get funding for his movies could get kind of difficult, and especially when you're doing dealing with a producer who may have the money one day and then may not the next. I think that, again, is why, again, these movies are hard to find because there's so many people who own different parts of these movies. It's not necessarily the music rights, like when we talk about like, why we can't get a movie. It's like, uh, like uh, uh, Albert Pune's, um, oh, shoot, the one that will never get released. You can only see on YouTube. What, Radioactive Dreams? Radioactive Dreams, because of the music. It's just, yeah, it's going to be a nightmare to try and figure that those rights out. But um, it is... So, but too many people were involved in making this movie, so you will never. So it's kind of get kind of difficult. But again, go back to Scorsese. John Woo has this kind of um, Martin Scorsese kind of philosophy. As long as I get the money to make the movie, I'm fine. Um, but Scorsese's at a point where he can just go to. He went to Netflix and can you give me three hundred million dollars to DH Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, and they're like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, we need more of that. We do need more of that. Netflix, I know you're not doing well, but give John $300 million at least. Well, we did get them to uh, release uh, the last movie he made. Um, So that's something. But uh, I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but his new movie, I can't wait for that trailer to come out because he's hooked. It just sounds amazing. So yeah, that's the silent let's, action one, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just like yeah, yes, let's please. do this. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but he's finally going to his purest form and just getting rid of dialogue altogether. <laughs> yeah, so I can't wait to see what that's like. But uh, like, it's just amazing how poorly we kind of treat great directors sometimes. Yeah, we we really um, we really do, and it's. And this, yeah, as you said, this is not just a thing when, because the usual story is that they make movies really well in the original country, they come to America, and then all the producers note them to death and treat them like shit. John Woo kind of had this through most of his career because he was going out on his own a lot of the time. He was like, no, I want to make the movies I want to make. And because um, I know hard, well, no, this movie took was a sleeper, wasn't it? It took, it wasn't, it wasn't an instant hit, say like, oh, Better Tomorrow or maybe Hard Boiled was, am I correct? I'm sorry. What was the question? Um, I the killer... got distracted by my phone went off oh, like yeah. a jerk. <laughs> um, no, I was just sort of saying the killer wasn't an instant hit even in Hong Kong. It took a. It was no. More... It, it was a gradual because mm. that same year was the Tiananmen Square massacre. Oh, people were distracted. That's understandable. Yeah, they were like, uh, I don't know if I want to watch people shoot people, but eventually, it made some decent money and won some of their big awards um that year at the mm. Hong Kong 
film awards. So it definitely uh, took a minute, but it became a thing. But it wasn't really until it came over here to do like the Toronto Film Festival, mm. which was called something else at the time. And some other one here in the West, that's when people were like, hold the phone. What the hell is this? I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And I think that's why that thriller comedy stuff comes in because, like, if you watch it, the movie, like, it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, I mean, it is absolutely. But I'm just sort of wondering if people in Toronto and the West were watching this, and because yeah. Hong Kong movies, especially this era, have wild tonal changes. I mean, from one minute you're being goofy, the next minute you're being way over dramatic. Um, I mean, those yeah. those freeze frames of just like Danny Lee and Chai Yong Fat just smiling at each other before they go completely um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid on on everyone's ass. It's yeah. it's um it can seem very over the top to I think to a lot of Western audiences when they watch it the first time, um which is why I think Hard Target took a little bit. I mean it, it made money, but it wasn't definitely the cult movie that it was is now. Um, yeah. I could be wrong on that, but it just took a minute. People go, wait, what, what, what what's happening? <laughs> your your mama took a chance. What? Um, no, I, it, I think the Hard Target thing, by the way, is very recent. Yeah, it, it yeah, um, and. So yeah, I'm sort of wondering if people called it a comedy because it is very funny in part, but it is more because they were just looking at going, "What the hell is this thing?" <laughs> yeah, because like if you're if you see a John Woo movie for the first time and you've never seen action like it before, like you're either going, you might laugh at like just how crazy it is, yes, but like not, I don't think in like a making fun of it sort of way, it's just sort of like. When you okay, like when you see something awesome, sometimes you like laugh because you saw something awesome, and I think that's also, kind of what they were saying there. Yeah, and I also think people laugh at something when they don't know what it is, like when they don't know what their reactions meant to be. Uh, like I remember going to see John Wick three was the only was one I saw in the theater because there was this weird thing where we thought Australia and New Zealand weren't going to release it, and we're like, because John Wick two made no money over here, and we're like, ah, uh, things have changed. Can you please release number three? And it was like the biggest movie friggin' that year, yeah. I think like jesus christ australian roadshow get your act together um right yeah uh, well, i'm glad you finally got it though oh we did yeah i think there was i think they said oh we're just gonna release it on blu-ray and everyone just went ah fuck what <laughs> excuse me oh, that's crazy though jeez <laughs> yeah don't get me started on australian roadshow um but they did and i saw it and people were giggling and i think it was because one they were watching something awesome um and two mm -hmm. I think three is when a lot of people went and saw it. I think a lot of people in Australia saw three first. Um, oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And they went, what? I think there was a definitely people saying, oh, you should see John Wick and John Wick 2. They're really, really great. But when it came out in theaters, I think that's when everyone went, holy shit. And people were really just giggling at it. And I think it's one, because they didn't quite know how to react to it. And two, they were just watching something awesome. And they were just like, holy shit, this is awesome. I remember watching well, John book two when he round kicks the guy with the car and I just went, holy shit. Oh like, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Because it's awesome. So I think sometimes when you're watching action that you have, that's been presented to you for the first time or something you don't know how to react to, sometimes you just laugh. <laughs> it's not laughing at it. It's just like a reaction you have. When my wife and I saw uh, John Wick 3 and that scene with the knives mm. like we're like applauding and laughing and like I've, I wanted to like high five everybody in the theater because it was just so awesome and that's sort of how I feel about John Woo movies like you just want to high five everybody because what you just saw was amazing you really do you know? I mean the scene um when he's assassinating I can't remember who he's assassinating now he's on the boat and he's got that most adorable fake mustache like it's 
Yeah, Again, he's killing our triad boss. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because Danny Lee's still undercover. Um, yeah. It is this amazing sort of moment again pulled me out a little bit of the movie when they kept sort of going that he's a master of disguise i'm like it's charlie on fat he's the most attractive man on the planet <laughs> why are you he's not yeah, that mustache they're, is great their mustache oh it's so adorable i love him in a mustache um even when you can kind of see that yeah um when he's doing that whole scene it's incredible because it's just real it's big i mean you've just got this massive scene of them by the harbor He's on the boat. He's getting his gun ready. It's really built up tension. And when it kicks off, it's just pandemonium. And John Woo just directs the hell out of it. Like he kind of knows where to put put the cameras in to catch the absolute moments he needs to capture. And I think that's kind of a sign of a really great director is when you kind of, and I know he didn't do a lot of prep for this because he just wanted to work in the moment. Like he didn't do um, any kind of previs for the action he, I don't think he does. He doesn't storyboard. He's not like a guy who goes, "I'm going to go shoot here, 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 and here." He's just like, "Yeah, let's just put the camera here. Let's see what happens." I'm like, "How do you do that and still work? <laughs> still make yeah, it he, work?" I don't understand he, he it. He just goes to a location and be like, "Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yeah, let's do this, that, this, that, and the other thing." And like, he's like playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yes. He just, it's amazing. Yeah, because most directors will have a shot shot list. I'm talking out of my ass. Um, I'm sure Liam O'Donnell can talk about this way better than I could. Um, you have a sh- shot list of things you want to capture that day, and you kind of know where you're going to do everything because you think. But he just shows up and goes, "Yeah, let's do this." <laughs> like what? Like that fight Chaoyuan has at the beginning when he's defending um, uh, Sally Lee. Yeah, just on the day. And it's an amazing fight. <laughs> yeah, he throws a trash can at a guy. Mm. I always like that. Take a trash can, throw it at someone's head. It's great. Chaoyuan Pat famously does not like violence, and he had to be convinced to do that. Yeah. The, it's like, I don't want to hurt him. It's like, sorry, just do it. <laughs> that's the funniest thing about John Woo, too. Like, and and I, I, I get it, because I'm very similar. Where, like, he's pretty much a pacifist. Yeah. Like, he doesn't like violence. like i hate violence. like if i see a fight happen near me i sometimes get nervous oh yeah and i want to like throw up even though i'm like sitting there watching just like some hardcore like action movie and stuff because yeah. i'm like like it's a movie real life getting shot would suck real bad it would but hurt. like you know yeah but like Basil. i know it's just a movie like yeah. I'm, I'm able to separate it and stuff but like the fact that he's so anti-violent violence but then can also make this beautiful violence is just one of the one of the greatest like um what's the word i'm looking for anyway you know yeah. what i mean no like, yeah just a, i do the, know the doubleness of it yeah i do know what you mean because it's kind of like um park uh june june woo june woo i'm butchering my favorite director's name how do i how dare i do that um but he kind of does the same thing he's this pacifist who makes these amazing um, kind of thrillers, uh, Park Chan-wook, sorry. Um, he makes these amazing kind of Hitchcockian um, thrillers. Um, he used, but, and he can make them incredibly violent, if you've ever seen Old Boy. Oh, boy. Um, but yet, yeah, I think that, but I think they recognize this, just because you like watching violence on screen doesn't mean you want to watch violence in real life. Those are two very different things. And when you watch a John Woo movie, you realize how highly choreographed they are. They are not, um, they, even though they're done on the day, they feel very precise. Like you, Charlie, uh, in fact, is being told, okay, raise your arms up here, do that, swing over there. Like you kind of feel he's being directed, 
So the violence kind of feels very heightened. I mean, that's what movie violence is. So when people sort of go, oh, too many this or this in the movies, it's kind of influencing people. No, it's not because it's not real. It's, it's, when you watch actual violence, it's horrific, it's quick, it's gross, and it's harmful. And you're actually seeing someone hurt. It's not like a John Woo movie when you're watching something beautiful on screen. Um, It's, yeah, there's, I think people forget about that, that disconnect. Like it's not, it's, this is a fantasy and John Woo is making a fantasy and is very aware he's making a fantasy. The other fun thing about John Woo uh, is before he started doing A Better Tomorrow and The Killer and mm. whatnot, he was making a lot of comedies, a lot of, a lot of studio comedies. Mm. And I sometimes talk about today where you see like an action movie and it's directed by like, they're gonna have a comedy guy in it so Mm. they're gonna get a comedy director to direct it and they almost are always not directed very well for the action yes i was like well you should get a a guy who's good with drama or something to do it but here is a guy that did mostly comedies who makes action movies and it was like better than anything else and it was just like maybe we you know i should stop making an assumption that just because somebody did this a lot they might have something awesome in them that you didn't know that they can do. So, you know, let this be a lesson to everyone listening to not make assumptions. Exactly. Based off of past work. Um, no, I think it just depends on the, on the person. Like John Woo knows that could direct a lot of comedy. And then he started directing these amazing action movies. And there is a sense of timing to how he does it. It's like when Jordan Peele made Get Out, he was known as, now he's known as the horror guy, but beforehand he was the comedy guy. Um, And then he makes this amazing horror movie, which is all about timing. It's really tight. It's really concise. Um, And everyone just went, holy shit. And again, like Barbarian this year. Have you seen Barbarian? Yeah, Barbarian's awesome. Yeah, exact same thing. Yeah. Again, he kind of, they, I think there's something about when, certain not it does not work for everyone there are certain directors who make the jump to or certain people make a jump to another genre and it they fall flat on their face sometimes it works and when it works it's a beautiful thing because you can kind of see in a microcosm of what they used to do put into the new thing and they are able to work but i think it's more of a thing of how you understand tone um how do i use my say comedy chops the timing of it to make something different um and and though we could be just talking about john woo who's just good at making movies um it's kind of hard to sort of say yeah it's also that fact that he's just good at it yeah like some people are just good at things which shits me to no end but um sometimes yeah sometimes they're just good at this thing that they've stumbled across on it goes oh no i actually really like not only do i like doing this i'm good at it and i can get better at it so i think there's that as well um, and I think they, these people are very few and far between. I don't think you come across them very often. And when you do, it's like a John Woo. Um, especially when you look at the chaotic way he makes movies. I'm like, how do they turn out? That's good. Um, but yeah, and they all very, feel very raw. As I said, I've only seen four of his Hong Kong movies, um, which I, I guess the main four because they, they were the easiest to find. Um, but they all seem very raw and he hooks Chow Yun Fat up every single time in very different ways. Like in the first, uh, a bit of tomorrow, it's really leaning on his dramatic. Um, he's, he's able to go big on the dramatic. This is a broken man 
who has been hurt. He he can't sort of he's lost everything. So you kind of see this broken man. Number two, he's the coolest guy in the in the room, putting on the on the coat, the bullet ridden coat, and eating the rice. Here he is. Um, he gets to be way more romantic, and you get to really kind of see him as leading man, like full leading man, like he's everything. He is dramatic. He can you fall in love with him instantly, like Sally does, even though he did blind her. Um, you can see why Danny Lee falls in love with him. Everyone's just falling in love with Charlie and Fat. And then you get to um, Hard Boiled and you're just like, yeah, it's Charlie and Fat, bitches. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, the it's amazing to get four different performances from Charlie and Fat. Very different performances, I think yeah. They're like, I think that's, uh, I think that's, I love when a director has like an actor that they could do a bunch of movies with and it's different every time i think that's pretty great and and he's he's really good in, in the killer obviously but the thing i also really enjoy uh we talked about comedy earlier i that scene in the apartment where him and danny lee are pointing guns at each other while Celier, who's blind um doesn't really know what's going on and they're calling each other uh like nicknames and the version i grew up with was when they're calling each other dumbo and mickey mouse and uh just that whole sequence is just one of the funniest, most clever things I've seen in a movie. And um, so just the the deafness of doing comedy and seriousness all at the same time is uh, a testament to the acting ability of everybody in the movie. They are all really good. I mean, you can understand why Sally Yee falls in love with him and why she is so devastated when it is revealed to her that um all her trauma is because of the man that she loves and that moment in the i think it's at the airport when they are trying to get they're trying to draw him out so they've realized okay we can get sally to call him to meet them so they can go get this eye operation because that's what uh chairman fat's trying to do he's trying to raise the money to um to fix her eyes essentially to try and i think it sort of starts as guilt and then he does actually fall in love with her um but that moment when she decides i can't betray him and she just starts yelling like Jeff, Jeff, don't, don't come near me. <laughs> They're gonna get you. Don't. It's such a beautiful moment, and it doesn't come out of nowhere because she fell in love with this guy. Yes, he is the reason why she is blind. She is the reason why she has all this trauma that she's kind of broken. Um, but yet you understand fully why she fell in love with him, and it's not just because it's Chow Yun Fat. It's just because of the way he plays it as well. Yeah, and I, I was thinking uh, the movie probably could have they could have added a lot more because I know it's always a hundred twenty four minute version, but it probably could have been even longer if they would have made it today. I could see them being like, "Well, oh, this would be three hours." <laughs> yeah, you gotta have to have really like relationship stuff, yeah, with him and her and things. But I think you just from the eye acting alone, you just sort of you get it, you understand why he wants to help her. Mm. Um, I, and I, I was reading today, somebody was describing how it took him to blind somebody for him to finally see. And I thought that was just really well said because like, unfortunately some bad happened to her, but he then it realized, Hey, I have something to live for actually. And I thought that was a really cool, interesting, um, theme of the film because like, Danny Lee helping Chai and Fat in many ways is him 
realizing that he's got something that he could keep fighting for because like he's been being down by his police chief because he's you know too reckless oh he's such an awesome <laughs> i mean he's fellow. really technically reckless but like you know, he is like, i get why it's like that in the movie but like you know he, he did something uh i think selfless to help this guy that he admires from talking to him when you know before he would have just probably shot him oh. but here he actually gets to know him a little bit i think that's yeah interesting no i was actually talking about the police chief because they've just got this little whiny guy in glasses just like wagging his finger yeah. constantly at danny lee he's such an asshole just like just yeah i know it's it's the cop cliche is your cop is the cop is too reckless and the chief is gonna tell them not to be so reckless and stopping a pain in the ass but just the casting of that poor guy it's like could they make you look any weaker i don't know what just the just the juxtaposition yeah. it was um it was a funny joke to me um he, he, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure John Woo didn't really appreciate like some of the police chief people I'm assuming. do not come up well in his movies generally. Yeah. And then if you and you think about it too, like I'm just in my head canon, he probably thinks, okay, this is actually uh Troy Hark who's like telling me what to do and I'm like you can't tell me what to do exactly you know what I mean? stop telling me what so. to do it's my movie um yeah it is very much like that but I love the scene in the hospital after he saves I mean you can always kind of tell Troy and Matt's Jeff has, has has a code with his hit manning that you know he kills the people he's paid to he doesn't hurt civilians and when he hurts uh, Sally Yi, um, you can tell that weighs on his conscience. And you're right. She had to go blind for him to see. And I love the ending. Oh, God, it's so heartbreaking when they're both blind. Uh, um, yeah, and... I'm crying at 13 or whatever watching yeah, this Yeah, when they're not reaching <laughs> each other. You're like, no. Um, but that scene in the hospital and when that little girl gets shot because she just happens to be in the cross here. And when he could have run, because he knew, because that's when Danny Lee and, and the other cop guy is after him, he could have just run, but he know he saves that little girl and he stays at the hospital until she he knows that she's okay. And that whole standoff. And when he says, let the doctor, and he's got the guy in between him and Danny, and he's basically just saying, let the doctors do their thing, let them save her, and then we can do this later. It is says so much about, how his character is evolving during the movie and it's just kind of like he's he's getting done with the life because he's sick and tired of all this other collateral damage happening around him and now we're starting we what you see in the movie at least him starting to do something about it and i love that scene in the hospital so much yeah that scene is great and i love the thing i do love about the movie is the relationships that everybody has are mirrored with each other like uh, Danny Lee and Kenneth Sang's character mm. as the cop buddies are married with uh Chayanne Fenn I don't remember the actor's name yeah but who plays Sydney his uh his friend like I just love the like that man relationship between two people that love each other uh I always I just think it's beautiful and that's what makes his movies stand out and I just love that just you know that how different they're friendship is with their their friends and how it mirrors each other and how because you know one dies and the other one their friends both die and they're able to bond together uh in order to you know defeat 
the 400 million people on the bad guys <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of oh my god you, you think uh, that, oh my god you think that it's ending in, in uh, uh a better tomorrow part two that house scene at the end jesus christ wait to see the killer um which yeah, you probably so well, I, like most people you see the killer then that other movie but <laughs> that's not how i did it no i think it's the actor paul chu kong who plays um chow yan fat's friend who's trying to help him get the money he broke my heart like his whole thing like he he's already been hurt he's kind of already in the way out he's kind of already knows that there's only one way to leave the life and that will be to die but the stuff he goes through just for chow yun fat is is incredible and the ultimate ride or die as the ultimate ride or die it's like i will die painfully and slowly for you to help you so you can get out even though i know i'm not getting out it is oh his, his death yep his death got me i'm like oh we didn't have to oh man it, there's a lot of that in there like you it sneaks up on you you don't think you're feeling about the characters that you think you are and as soon as you get the sort of last 40 minutes you're suddenly yeah you're in tears a lot <laughs> yeah you 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 cry you you high five people mm. you, you laugh you it's just like i love the bad guy like that dude just keeps getting fucked up and he keeps coming back yes. like it's actually now that i talk about it out loud like okay i, I get the thriller comedy part because it is kind of funny it is that he's just that man he's will got not like die. A, a vest on there's like a bajillion bullets on his like vest you know <laughs> like, like this guy just won't won't uh go until the very end but like it's so satisfying when he danny's danny lee's just like Psh. yeah you know it's just like you're not Dang. getting away yep <laughs> you nope know? your head is now <laughs> five different pieces no it yeah, is it, amazing yeah it is amazing um that house fight which is not quite the climactic scene but when you have about 400 guys just running into the house and yeah so many and it's just danny lee and chow yon fat against them and they are just shooting kicking um, an ex doesn't get involved Riding in this one. on the floor. Riding on the floor. It is just, it just doesn't stop. And that is something that, that is an old staple of uh, John Woo, which I love, which he just like throwing men at people. It doesn't quite happen in his American movies because I think they just wouldn't get, just the, the, the producers were probably like, you know, um, we're not paying for that. Even if Sam Raimi's just leave him alone. He's like, no, he can blow up the house. You can have Walter Brimley riding on a horse, but that is it. And I'm like, thank you for giving me that in my life. Um, it is, yeah, that is a sort of a staple. I've, I've sort of noticed that, especially if you watch Red Cliff and you just watch how much many extras are in that movie. I'm like, am I watching a 1950s um, war epic? Oh my God, where did these people come from? Um, the insurance alone. Um, but it is, it is so delightful to see because it just doesn't stop. And I love the fact that Chowan Fad does never feels like he's tired, like he could do this all day. It is such an incredible, amazing scene that again, it's one of those scenes where you just want to start high fiving because you it just gets you so pumped. <laughs> it's also the movie where the doves really make an impact. Oh yeah. <laughs> when everybody thinks of John Woo, they think of the doves and in that church sequence at the end when the doves are like putting out the flames because like as soon as all the flames are out that means somebody's probably gonna die yeah because like it referenced it seems like it's uh every bullet wound is one of the flames going out and it's also like doves is considered a 
the uh, symbol of peace and there's no peace happening in a church where there shouldn't be any fighting going on. It's like so like beautiful that like everybody tries to like imitate it and you just, you can't. No, the only time it's worked was in 21 Jump Street when Chad and Tatum has the box of doves when they're about to walk into the prom. That's when it works (laughs) because you know exactly what he's doing. Absolutely. But yeah, no, that's, I love doves. Oh, doves. No, this that's probably what confused me when I first saw Face Off for the first time. Because I think I went and saw it because it was after Con Air and I was on a massive Nicolas Cage high as a teenager. I would have been probably about 16, 16 17. Um, so, yeah, saw Con Air. Amazing. Yeah, put the bunny back in the box. I love it. And then he's in with a movie with John Travolta. So, yes, I'm going to go see it. I didn't know who John Woo was at the time. And I think what confused me about it because it was a lot of style and it was a lot of John Woo style which I was like hang on what is this why is John Travolta touching people's faces I don't I don't like it um even when we me and my partner watch it we're like stop touching the goddamn face John that's just creepy um you are doing that to to each other all the time aren't you (laughs) when I want to gross him out yeah I just go "Ah." (laughs) I if I have a YouTube page yeah a youtube thing and i i made like a super cut of all of those from the movie i need i need to, to yeah. send that to you because you really do that, that is hilarious <laughs> but no what confused me was the church and the dubs um because i didn't have any context for it i was a very mainstream girl when i was a teenager titanic was my favorite movie kind of still is but um i had not yet been introduced to any sort of anything slightly underground like I was still watching the best of Oscars. Like I, it, my diet was very, very what mainstream. So to see something face off, which was a very mainstream movie. I mean, it had friggin' Nicolas Cage and John Travolta in 1998, but the style kind of weirded me out. And I didn't know why doves were in this, that movie. I think that was kind of the thing. And I kind of walked out of that movie kind of going, did I like it? I don't know. What, what was that? And it just took me a few years. And then finally realizing who John Wu was, how influential, how, how influential he was already on the things that I already liked. I went, oh, okay. And then I rewatched Face Up and went, oh, yeah, this movie's great. <laughs> I was wrong. I was I was being a dumb teenager. But yeah, I, I yeah. totally see that because when I saw Face Off, obviously I'd already seen like a lot of John Woo movies. So like I was, you know, I knew what I was getting myself into. But like, yeah, being that first one, yeah, I could totally see you being like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up on Commando, like oh, those kind of action movies that they didn't have the precision of that movie. And they didn't go as quite as over the top as like that speedboat chase at the end. Um, and yeah, but now I love Face Off and it's a movie me and my partner watch every couple of years. We just get in the mood. Like, yeah, let's just watch Face Off. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that movie is so great. But like sometimes I go, man, there's, it's just like too much candy. It is. I, I can't watch it. I'm like, oh, maybe it's not as good as I remember. I don't know that I watch it. I'm just like. Yeah, no, this movie rules. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Too much candy is the perfect um, description of Face Off. It's just too much goodness that you do kind of, like, I need a break. I need a break afterward. Um, and the killer does have that a little bit, I think, because I remember, just because you've gone through such a, not, you've gone through such an emotional ro- roller coaster as well as this movie, by the time you do get to the end, you're a little exhausted, and that's when you get the fact that Chow Yun-Fat's now blind, same with Sally, and they're just reaching for each other and missing, and it's like, no! Yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad, and the fact that there's Daddy just Lee alone at the end, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. man! <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, like, I, I think I, it, there's something to be said about a movie that 
kind of has a downer ending. You don't want them all the time. No. But like, I feel like and in some ways it's, it's John Woo being like, I, I know that he has tried to redeem himself at the end, but like, you know, he, he did a lot of bad things and he may not get that uh, ending that he wanted, you know, but you know, maybe ultimately she ended up getting her surgery after all, who knows? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think she quite died at the end of the movie. No. Um, But like, yeah, I don't, I think he's saying, it just feels like he's saying that like he did all this stuff and he tried real hard and, you know, he was trying to live up to uh, like God and whatnot because like he's in a church a lot. So I, even though he probably would say he's not religious or didn't believe in God, I think he does. He believes in something. Yeah. Yeah. Or he's trying to believe in something. I think it's more. yeah. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure he, nothing to do can redeem him to live happily ever after so it's kind of a bittersweet kind of ending it you know, is tried, just couldn't quite go over the the top on it yeah no it, it kind of fits the movie that you're watching because this is a guy who's trying to search for redemption and even when sally asks him asks him will you ever kill again and he only thing he can say is i don't know um and that sort of says so much about his character that he is so ingrained in what he's done that even when he's doing, trying to do something good, one, the life, his, his, um, his past will never be able to quite leave him because it'll always keep coming for him. And two, it's kind of just how he relates to the world. Like he's trying to do something different. The whole thing about uh, Jeff in this movie, unlike, well, it's kind of hinted maybe in the, the samurai that he wants something different that he wants out that he's kind of looked at Kathy rosier and just got oh i could have maybe something else and realizing that he can't so he needs to protect the innocent um this jeff is really wants redemption he really wants something else but the whole time the movie's saying no i mean when you look at paul chu paul chu kong um it is not going to happen and the fact that he was still able I think he got redemption and death. That is, I think that's what happened, but that was the only way he was ever going to get there. Um, he was never able, he was never going to unfortunately live the life he wanted to with Sally, which is sucks because those two are adorable and I would have loved to seen them um, live happily ever after, but that's not the movie you're watching. And I think the movie leans into that very mostly throughout the movie is that the this couple's only going to get a very short break time together. Same with the friendship between him and Danny Lee yeah you know i'm thinking back now like i'm we're talking about this online i'm just like now i really appreciate that he decided to have tony lung's character live at the end of hardboiled yeah because most of his movies end very depressingly they do, yeah i never really thought about it till just now but like other than like once a thief like everything is just sad at the end <laughs> it, yeah they kind of are i mean it's it, well, I mean, in a bit of tomorrow, they killed off uh, Chao Fat's character, and then he realized that's what everyone loved about him, the movie. So they had to bring him back. They bring him back, and then they kill him off again. And, yeah, it's like, <laughs> dude, are you going to bring him back? Are you going to find out they're triplets in the third one? I still haven't seen the third oh, one. I wish. Oh. No, the third one's a prequel. Oh, um, okay. Directed by Troy Hark. Yeah. Um, Bull in the Head. Have you seen Bull in the Head? I don't no, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Um, 
Bullet in the Head was kind of like what he wanted to do a prequel, but then they had falling out with him and Hark. So he did a Better Tomorrow 3, which is a prequel to Better Tomorrow, which is yeah. good, but it's not as good as Better Tomorrow, Better Tomorrow 2. And Bullet in the Head, uh, if you do get a chance to finally see it, have as many boxes of tissues with you as possible. Okay. I've heard that movie's so quite enough. dark. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's pretty rough. It's a rough one. Yeah. No, he, he makes sad he does make sad movies. I mean, his American movies aren't that because he's working in an American studio system, which yeah. um, when you're making 90s action movies, they all will tend to work out at the end for the right people. So, um, yeah, John Travolta gets his family back. Um, uh, uh, hard target um, chance kills the bad guys. Um, and, yeah, everything, you know, John Travolta dies in the nuclear ex- Actually, not a nuclear explosion, but he dies by bomb, doesn't he? And, yeah, well, he, 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 it's, he's got one of my favorite villain deaths when... <laughs> he just explodes from memory. He, like, he, he uh, Slater character, like, sets the bomb, he runs at him, he, like, runs him over, throws him into, like, part of the other part of the train, the thing blows up, everything blows up. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it is, uh, yeah. Um, even though that movie has a lot, well, it doesn't have a lot to answer for. A certain person who liked that movie has a lot to answer for with Ain't It Cool. But, um, (laughs) not even going to get into that. I might cut that out. Um, it is, yeah, but he does, he, uh, John Woo loves an emotional beat. He likes to make emotional movies and yeah, Hard Boiled, it doesn't seem as emotional as, from my mind, I need to watch Hard Boiled again. Um, doesn't seem feel that emotional. You do have emotional kind of beats to it, but I think those belong to more Tony Lung than they do Chow and Fat from memory. Like Tony um, Lung is the one that's really going through everything. Um, but then you get the hospital scene with the babies and I'm just like, oh my God, John Woo. Um, I mean, it's the most hopeful of all of his it Hong is. Kong action is. films that aren't Once a Thief because that, that's more of a comedy. Yeah. but But The Killer is such a... I'm sad at the end, but it feels right. Um, it earns when the, it. It earns it. Where there's the end of like Better Tomorrow 2. I'm like, really? You killed You killed him again? What? You just brought him back. <laughs> it's like, come on. Um, yeah. that, that I was just like, oh, come on. You, no, just let him live. I mean, you okay, whatever. Um, but the killer, it absolutely earns his death. It earns the man is at peace now he didn't get what he wanted but the world might be a little bit of a better place because of it um even if you just the camera's just on danny lee's face as he's just like crying like from the depths of his soul and it's it's a heartbreaking ending but the, yeah you're right what well, you said it earns it yeah yeah but also on a on a positive note mm. there's some awesome action sequences in this movie that are <laughs> as good as anything ever like the church scene at the end is when i love that one scene where they throw each other guns yes! and there's like a million machine guns and then they get up together in slow motion they walk out with the do 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 the music going it's just yeah. like God, right now I'm fist pumping. You can't even see it. No, like, it I, is. It's it's I like, like talking about his action sequences because I'm just like, Argh. the action sequences for this movie with a cherry on top. Like if even if you'd played this as a straight like mafia um, drama, 
I think I would have absolutely loved this movie. But the fact that you get these action sequences, yeah, when he like just throws the gun, it's like the scene in um The Woman King when um her she's with uh, the the Red of War. Someone shoots the, a blade, so her buddy just like tosses her a knife. She catches it without even looking at it, and they just walk towards to kill, like, kill them. And I'm like, I fucking work it, bitch. Um, and this is kind of like that's what action's meant to do. It's meant to make you go fuck yes and this has so many moments all-time classics in it it's not like good action sequences these are all-timer action sequences and yeah, yeah john Woo would use them again you know why because they got that goddamn good um it is it, like uh, john williams going you know what i wrote a really amazing score for star wars let me just see if i can rework it for Indiana jones and you're like yeah because they're both awesome um it is yeah it's that kind of god tier action stuff and watching this back in oh man watching this back in the early 90s I'm kind of jealous because just being presented with this and going I don't know what this is but this is amazing it would have been an amazing feeling and you would have got that pretty early on you're just watching this as a as a teenager going oh my god what is this what have I what have I found like I just you feel like you've discovered it which would have been such a cool feeling I mean, like that opening sequence in the in the, the the nightclub where he's like, someone's gonna shoot him. There's a gun at the end of the table, so he kicks the the table so he can throw yes! him a gun. It's, like nobody does that. No. Nobody even does that now. Well, they have to mock it every single time. There's a gun throwing. They make a joke about it because you can't do that any, anymore because John Woo did it so well. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just like that's why I'm like, you know, before he goes out, let's let him do a couple of more awesome like. I don't know if let him do his Irishman or not. Let him do his Irishman. Yeah. I don't know if the killer remakes could be good or not. I I think it's a cool lead. I hope it happens. Movies aren't done until they're out. But like yep. to see, like I would love to see what those action sequences look like with uh, nowadays with him running, doing all the cool stuff he does. I think that would be so fascinating. But like I don't know. Well, no, let's 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 do that let's come on guys let's get this let's get these out here man because yeah. like he needs to go out on a high note because you know a lot of people don't like manhunt i love it i think it's way better than people give it credit for but mm. like you know people are like oh well john, they're like oh john Woo made a couple of bad movies near the end I'm like well so did john carpenter he's still one of the greatest directors of all time so like let's let the goat be the goat okay let's just stop this nonsense yeah you know what Wes craven's movie was assaulted no, actually, it wasn't. It was Screen 4. I lie. Um, so maybe that – actually, no, because I'm not the biggest fan of Screen 4. So that analogy still works for me. Um, but he's still the GOAT. <laughs> like, he still made some of the greatest movies of all time. Same with John Carpenter. Yeah, there's no better action director. I don't care what anyone tells me. Yeah, and you know what? Um, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese have not yet made their final movie. I mean, The Irishman kind of felt like the swan song, but then he's making um, The Killer Moon one, which I'm so looking forward to. Um it is, yeah, just let him make his movie. It doesn't have to be good. I mean, Coppola is making Metropolis, which I think he sold his vine, vine, his uh, winery for. That movie could be a mess. I'm still really looking forward to it. I think there's, let these guys make their movies because they are going to be interesting, even if you don't like them. Um, but they're going to make what they want to make. And I kind of love that. Me too. Me too. I, you know, we're 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 really lucky that we get to see all these movies that we do. Yeah. Like, do you ever think about that? You're just like, 
man, we're, we're alive with like a great time. We are. I mean, I will complain about how streaming will drop movies that I wanted to watch because I didn't get around to them. I will complain um, how sometimes I have to buy a bootleg, but the fact that I can still buy a bootleg of John, John Woo, I think is pretty fantastic. I think we live in a time when we can experience, um, when they will release blood rage on a high quality blu-ray and i get to own it um or don't open till christmas i get to have the vinegar syndrome blu-ray that that movie oh. should have never been cleaned up um but yeah, it was can I, can I make you jealous real quick yeah make me jealous do you, do you know that in my town a mere 15 minutes away is the second vinegar syndrome archive store oh so i could go drive 15 minutes to buy their latest releases like i just picked up a couple of their new ones like burning paradise so yeah Mine's still coming. not to make it jealous or anything <laughs> mine is still coming i have to wait for it to ship all the way around the world i don't know when i'm gonna get my burning paradise but i i love vinegar syndrome and they should totally uh sponsor your show so <laughs> yes, vinegar they should. syndrome sponsor schlocking off yeah they should um no it is yeah, we live in a time where we have film history mostly at our fingertips. Now, we don't have everything. Some things can still be hard to find. Um, something It's not a perfect system by any means. But I can watch a movie from 1918. I can watch a movie from 2022. Uh, and knowing what streaming services I have access to and what I can get, that's pretty special. Um, yes, though I would love some Criterion or some Arrow releases for for uh, John Woo. Um, and none of the small ones are going to get John Woo. They can't afford it. But Arrow might be able to swing it. Criterion definitely. Um, so, like, I, the rights, I understand, is is a piece of shit. And, like, they're too going to be too hard. But if we could get, like, even a hard-boiled and a killer, oh, my God. Um it is it would be magical uh to see these movies just in in perfect serene perfect kind of thing but yeah no we live in a great age of watching movies we get yeah, to we, we, yeah we saw john woo we saw steven spielberg we're we were alive for uh the great directors of today like and they're still making I movies i mean i know the i know the fablemans is, st- is out in the states and we're getting it soon um martin scorsese is releasing a new movie john woo is working on a new movie um yep appreciate when you have them um which i think goes back to albert peon which i'm kind of glad that he had such a strong cult around him even if he didn't quite know what that was happening um though i think he was told um but i'm so glad that there was enough there's all this love around albert peon before he died um because i don't think certain directors always get that like say something with uh lucio fulci who only was just realizing before he died that people were watching and loving his movies um toby hooper i wish hopefully he knew how much love that people had for him and his movies um so yeah appreciate these guys while we have them like yeah go out and see their new movies um I, don't just them say, and say it's not as good as the new stuff yeah because you haven't watched it 15 times like you have hard boiled <laughs> so yeah <laughs> the uh so um if you love john woo check out instagram his daughter runs his uh john woo official page mm-hmm. and he absolutely knows how much people love his movies because like he'll he'll post something uh like thanking everybody and uh it's it's amazing to see all these there's so many great uh, behind the scenes photos. Um, 
updates from his daughter and whatnot. So like, I highly recommend if you like John Woo, we want to learn more about John Woo, just go there. Cause like you can actually like message him and like, he'll see it. He did like a, an AMA recently on Reddit answering everybody's questions and being like real honest about everything. And oh, it's nice. just, it's amazing to be able to tell somebody that, Hey, your work means a lot to me. Like, I mean, if I ever got an opportunity to meet John Woo, I would, I, I don't know. Uh, I would probably be very emotional or also maybe just like when I, when I met like Lance Henriksen and I had to ask him about John Woo, I was just like, like this nervous, like stuttering dork. And I'm like, just like, be wise, bro. To- just be wise, but we're not worthy. We're I would totally worthy. be that guy. So I was like, yeah. So I like, I don't, I don't, Hey, if John Woo listens to this, that would be amazing. And I'll just to say uh, thank you for all the movies that, that you, that you've done because uh, you, that guy's meant a lot to me and so many people. So thank you for uh, having me talk about it. Like I've, I could probably talk another like four hours. About oh, me too. Movie, but... I I, re- I, like, I didn't write that many notes for the killer because I think I got kind of invested in the story. So I was like, oh, I hope I have enough to talk about. And I'm like, oh no, we talked about. Yeah, I could talk about another killer for another hour. It's just, it's one of the great movies. He's one of the great directors. Yeah. It's just one of those things. But no, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. Finally, make an excuse to open my my killer DVD. Hooray. Um, so and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It is just um, every single time I watch a John Woo movie, I'm like, oh yeah, he's like really great. He's like the one of the best. <laughs> absolutely. Um, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, I have a link tree at linktree.com slash real early, R E E L early. It's a podcast where I talk to people about, their history growing up with movies. We I did an episode with you, which yes. is uh well received. People love hearing about uh what it was like growing up in New Zealand and Australia. So I appreciate you coming on. There's many other guests that have been on your show that I've had on, like uh Mike Scott was the last one I did. I'm taking a break right now, uh starting up again in the new year. Try to I'm gonna see what worked, what didn't work and try to make it a little bit better, but you can find me at the, the link tree thing or uh, at double H 55 on Twitter or at Woovember also on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I, 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 anybody that listens to this, that has also listened to my show. I want to say thanks so much. Uh, I got the, the list of like the year end like review. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I, I made almost a thousand hours of audio. Like, how cool is that? Right? Like, yeah. I, I, I love that, that, like, you have this show that you get to talk to people and people like it. Like, I think that's, it's it's amazing. I don't know. I, I have to say, maybe the, I'm just such a dork, but I, I think it's awesome. No, Real Early is such a fascinating um, uh, show because you do, not only are you talking to movie nerds, which is kind of my favorite thing to listen to. Um, and the people you've had on, like Matt Essery, uh, Mike, Mike Scott, um, a whole bunch of other people, like from Can- a few from Canada, things like that. It is absolutely amazing to sort of hear their experiences and how they became a film fan, which is always starts when you're a kid. And for a lot of people, um, started in the video store, uh, which is absolute. So, yeah, your show is uh, really, really great. And, I, yeah, the uh, end of year, because I just switched to uh, new server, which I means I got the end of year um, Spotify anchor uh, thing. Um, 
kind of a boost. Yeah. <laughs> it shows it's you what you've cool. it, yeah, it shows you what you've accomplished and you're like, Oh yeah, I did do some shit, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I saw some of my friends who were like they're like they said they went up like two hundred percent. I'm like, Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, like, that's so cool. Like I mean, like I'm just like just a dork that likes movies. We all but are. like that's yeah. but like people like my show. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. And it did give you a little bit, it did give me a bit of a confidence bump. Like, um, I do this because I enjoy talking to guys like people like you about movies and stuff like that. But that was just a real kind of like, oh yeah, I did achieve something this year. <laughs> yeah, and I and I the the other big thing about my show too is I I like talking to as many different people as I can. Yeah. From different different backgrounds or whatever, just because like I'm learning too. Like I learned a whole lot from everybody. It's like Holy cow, like even if nobody listened, like I learned something. I'm a better person now than I was before I started. So I finally, because of this conversation, I watched La Samurai and I watched The Killer. Um, and even oh, if yeah. no one listens, I'm like, I got to watch those movies. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. But people are listening because your show's great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So please listen to us, uh, Larry's podcast, follow him on Twitter while it's still around. I'm just going to say that caveat for the next two years, probably. Um, probably. Yeah. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen um and all that kind of thing and yeah because it's it's a really great show thank you for listening to uh schlock and or i also have a link tree now i, I made um so you, which is a link uh look pretty much link tree or link.ee slash schlock and or one um that's where you can find uh all my details and yeah i've also on shock and all one on twitter and instagram if you want to follow me on uh twitter it's reading geek um and yeah that's pretty much where you can find me and this was an amazing conversation it always is um yeah god damn the killer on the last ever amazing um yeah and we will be back with another double feature all right thanks guys bye (laughs) 